This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Happy Friday to you. You made it through the week of love. So proud of you, and uh, boy, oh boy, have we got a, a great show. Uh, breaking news, Mitt Romney says he's running for the U.S. Senate. How is that breaking? It just broke. It done broke right there. Is it he officially said the words? I mean, Mitt Romney said in a video announcement Friday that he will run for the U.S. Senate from Utah, setting out, to glide, uh, sitting out on the glide path to Washington, where he will likely play a central role driving the direction of the fractious Republican Party. I get an alert from the Associated Press a couple days ago saying he's going to announce on the 15th, which was yesterday, yeah. of course, and he decided to postpone it today yeah. because of the events of yesterday. I read that three weeks ago that he picked the no. 15th. As no, no, his no, no, no. It's breaking. Now. Wait a minute. I thought he was waiting until the Lincoln dinner tonight or whatever. That's probably the first time you'll hear him like go in depth and speak. Probably. I thought he was going to make you pay but he to made, hear the, the announcement. The Associated Press was like sources say the source was Mitt Romney's Twitter account. Yeah. Two weeks ago. Breaking news. Okay. Enough. And it's done broke. And he's going to focus on – he's going to go hyper-local with his campaign. Yeah. He doesn't want to spend time dealing with anything going on in, in with basically with President Trump. Well, yeah. Because so people are really smart. anticipating a fight and he's not, he's not going in to fight. He's going in to uh, change the conversation if you want to look at it that yeah, way. Yeah, he's, right? he's, he's going not, to change the dialogue. He's not leading the resistance here. You guys are beating up on Mitt way too much. Hold on. That's beating up on Mitt? Now, listen – when it's your birthday, don't yeah. you want people to know it's your birthday? Don't you like telling people, just so you know, it's my birthday? Mm, no. I don't do that. Really? In fact, it was my birthday. That's embarrassing. And I didn't That's tell embarrassing. anyone. Yeah. I, and yeah. then you guys knew about it after the show and did nothing about it. Yeah. You went, oh, we forgot to make fun of you. And then that we was We thought it. that that was the best way to celebrate you. Your great. wife told us that's what you wanted for your birthday. Yeah. Just don't She do said, anything. ignore him. It's great. She says, I've been doing it for years, and he likes it. So you send out the announcement a few weeks ahead of time, mm-hmm. having a party, and then the day comes, just so you know, don't you forget, th- it's my birthday. Save the date. Do you think that's what he's doing? Oh, yeah. He did a save the date and then pushed it a day. But it's smart for him to run locally. All politics oh, yeah. are local. And it keeps him out of the fray. Well, and he's trying to show up the, uh, the local head of the Republican Party. Yeah, In the state he's running in, who had a uh, long interview complaining about the fact that he decided to run and he's some sort of carpetbagger mm-hmm. and he pushed out all these other people that have been waiting decades to run for a seat that Orrin Hatch just finally decided to give up. Right. Is this a transitional gig for him? This is... To what? Is it gearing up for anything else? Emperor? Well, mm? I think... I don't know that he's necessarily thinking it's going to lead him to anything else, but... I think it could. Didn't he promise his wife that he wouldn't run again? Oh, he for got president? clearance. Yeah, he's not running for president. Okay. He got clearance to run for office again. I think what it is too, what do you do when you're really talented, really skilled, really wealthy and you're bored? You play with your grandkids. And you have and you have major problems going on in DC. I think that's why he's just going to run locally, get get the nomination, get the election finally, then um Go back there and be a deal maker. So what local issue is going to feel really minimal coming from uh, Mitt Romney? 
Because people are expecting a lot out of this nationally. Oh, yeah. And he's going to sit here and talk about what locally. The, well, same thing. It's, de-swamping the new prison site? Is that no, what they're going to know? No, no, but he'll, what he's going to do is he's going to only talk to the Utahns about the political issues of D.C. So he'll take the Utah positions. He'll take the Utah angles about D.C. politics. Okay. Instead of trying to go make national news. So he'll make national news as soon as he's elected. Were they, will they cover him like Trump during the 2016 election? Like whenever he shows up to a, a rest home to talk to constituents, I think they will. 15 cameras there. I, well, I think everybody thinks he's going to go take on Trump more. But he, here's the dilemma. There are people that love Trump in Utah too, right? So he needs to get their vote as well. So he can't go take on Trump in the primaries. Maybe he could if he gets if he gets six. They're saying like it's sixty five percent versus his opponent. Yeah. Will he feel like he's emboldened to go after the president at that point, or no? Not until he wins. When he wins, when he's got it and he's done, and he's the senator from Utah, then he'll have the right to go after. He's the safe president. for six years. Yeah. Put on the hockey mask. Go to and work. What I believe he'll oh, do, he'll be the guy. He'll be the next John McCain. He'll be the next Senator Flake. But actually we'll have a mandate because a lot of his people that got him elected want him to go in and at least hmm. take a stand for what's right. Why does Mitt Romney carry so much clout? If he's a one-term governor, is it his business savvy? Yeah, and he ran for president twice. That's a big deal. Yeah, but even then, why did he carry so much clout? Why did he almost become president? Because he's a smart dude, I guess. Smart. Well, as we've learned from people we've had on the show, man's got a good head of hair. That is true. He's, a lot of it is about hair. He's tall and has a good hair, head of hair. He's photogenic. He's got that sort of presence. Mm-hmm. So and it really has nothing to do with the politics. He turned around he's the, a pretty guy. the Salt Lake Olympic Committee issues and the scandal. I mean, he really does know how to you know, look at systems and change stuff. The problem is D.C. is not much for changing. Throws a great stiff arm. Does he jams you out of the way if you're walking yeah. behind the stage at the Olympics? He's um, That's right. He pushed you out of the way. He did. Well, that was probably more you. I was just trying to do my job. He's that's caused what they always some say. psychological damage. Apparently. It was emotional. So it's um, compounded by Steve Young the next day. Ridiculous. Again, I think you need to let that NFL go. NFL Hall of Famer. That, that was what? Sorry, man. I'm going to get on what stage. What was that? Yeah, right. 96? Uh, 2000, 2002. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's need okay. To, you need to let that go. I'll be all right. This is part of me coping. Okay. We all want to be touched by greatness. Yeah. Let's get to the headlines uh, and let uh, Terry, speaking of being touched by greatness, let Terry touch us all with the headlines. What's up? President Trump announced Thursday that he is planning to visit Parkland, Parkland, Florida, where 17 people were killed by a gunman at uh, Douglas High School on Wednesday. We are all joined together as one American family, and your suffering is uh, also our burden Trump said, addressing the victims and their families, no child, no teacher should ever be in danger in an American school. He added Trump additionally expressed a commitment to the difficult issue of mental health, reiterating a tweet made Thursday morning when he said neighbors and classmates knew about the mentally disturbed shooter. Answer hate with love, answer cruelty with kindness, Trump said, speaking directly to the American children. As many observed, the president did not use the word gun in his address. He also... February 28th of 2017 signed a bill that made it easier for people with mental uh, health issues to get guns. 
Mm. He rolled back some legislation that was already in place. And now, what, 12 media organizations want the photograph in his office of signing that, and the White House won't release it. Oh, really? Yeah. They're not going to, but... Because, you know, they have photographs of yeah. every executive order, everything he signed. He signs it real big and, and they then won't flips it around. It. That one, they will not release it. Well, they will eventually, right? The FOIA Act will demand they release it, and they'll have to release it. But as, as of right now, like they're denying the requests. Yeah. Wow. You know, timely. Uh, other news. The Senate on Thursday failed to advance four immigration plans, three of which were, would have enshrined legal protection for DREAMers and beefed up border security. A bipartisan group of senators pitched a last-ditch plan on Wednesday, but the, proposed, the proposal narrowly failed after President Trump threatened to veto it. An amendment that mirrors Trump's immigration framework also failed, failing, falling well short of the requisite 60 votes. The plan only received 39 votes and fears the uh, feared the worst out of all and fared the worst out of the four proposals. Senate uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said the Senate would work on immigration only until Thursday. Mm. It's unclear whether the Senate will take further action on the matter ahead of the March 5th deadline, the date with which the Dreamers lose their protections. Oh boy, the time's ticking. So we have the debate and four plans presented and nothing came of it. Well, but, you know, they're talking. So I'm not sure if that's it's enough. Beginning. Do we shut the government down? I mean, No, let's not do that. I don't know. But it'll be, I mean, at least they're on something. I mean, they're talking. See what happens. Yeah. Uh, it's been an awkward few weeks for the White House involving former Staff Secretary Rob Porter and his ex-wives. In order to nip similar scandals in the bud, the White House has reportedly distributed supplemental questions to some of the more than 130 officials who lack full security clearances as of November. Does uh, does your spouse have a black a photo of her with a black eye caused by you? The questions, which are not included on the official government questionnaire, uh, inquire whether anything in their backgrounds or those of family members could pose a conflict of interest, be a source of embarrassment, or be used for blackmail. This is all according to NBC. Well, how about or are illegal acts on your part. Another question asked, are you aware of any reason not discussed above that may call into question your suitability to serve in public office? Aides who had forms of, in, of interim security clearances as of November, including Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, White House Counsel Don McGahn, and White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders. They all really? ha- don't have full security clearance. What? Yeah. But, what? So you got Ivanka, Jared, uh, Don McGahn, who's the yeah. lawyer who's making headlines for other reasons, and uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's out there discussing Hold Rob it. Porter's stuff every day in front of the media, and she doesn't even have full clearance. What? It seems like you wouldn't want anyone around the president hmm. that doesn't have full clearance. That would be the reason they do the background checks and have a security clearance. There's 130 people as of November. That number could have adjusted since the beginning of the year, but still, it seems like a big number. Mm. Wow. Does the delivery guy have clearance? Yeah, I'll bet you the guys that deliver stuff at the White House do have Again, clearance. Edward Snowden said he got security clearance much faster than any of these people did. Wow. <laughs> he's in, He was in jail. It's, where is he now? Uh, he's in an undisclosed country, just living it up. Yeah. Or not. He would be in jail if he were back here. Yes. 
because, you know, he violated the agreement he signed right. where he said he wouldn't do what he did. Uh, and finally, cheeseburgers and chocolate milk will no longer be listed on Happy Meal menus at McDonald's, reports EAP. Diners can still ask, I know, diners can still ask specifically for cheeseburgers or chocolate milk with the kid meal, though. Since it removed the soda from Happy Meal menu four years ago, orders for it with Happy Meals have fallen 14%. Hmm. 14%. So people are still walking. Ah, skip the milk. My kid wants a soda. So wait a minute. Cheeseburgers are not going to be listed as an option for a Happy Meal? But you could, it's, an, it's something you can upgrade to. But it's not like if you go, it's, give me a Happy Meal, it's The whole a meal is supposed to be under 600 calories. Yeah. So, I mean, what's left on the menu, but I guess chicken nuggets. nuggets. So they want, they, as you said, they want it under 600. They want the uh, sodium under 650 milligrams. Yeah. They also want less than 10% of the meal's calories to come from saturated fat and the same percentage to come from added sugar. Okay, but the, you just listed the other option for a Happy Meal. No, you Chicken can, nuggets. So do you want the chicken nuggets one or the one with the chicken nuggets? Do you want the chicken nuggets or the product that shall not be named? You nuggets. could get your child a salad. Right. They have lettuce on the menu. My kids love salads. <laughs> Did they love salads at uh, three and four and five years old? Yes, if well, we didn't call it salad. We called it. Um, we called it. Uh, what's the name of the salad dressing that everybody? Ranch I never, Caesar. I never ordered. Russian. They, we call it ranch soup with greens. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> okay. Now, granted, these kids are only going there because they want to play in the play place anyway. Yeah. But why is McDonald's pretending like they don't sell? Their number well, one product. They're trying to make our kids healthier, and now they've put together this meal they're calling the not so happy meal. Not so happy. Less sugar, less salt, like less in, addiction. Instead of the huge smile on the box, it's kind of a just a straight line. Granted, every adult smaller fries. No emotion. Yeah. Granted, the only thing that adults like there is the French fries. But no, that, that's not true. Just be proud of who you are. Embrace it. No, but they, they exactly. But they are trying to help the kids. They're trying to help. The parents raise healthier kids. They're going to have instead of a small fry, they're going to have a kitty kitty small fry, which is the the appropriate amount of fries, which I think is six fries. Mm. It's just a sleeve <laughs> of six fries. Not all those in a really straw. hard, crunchy ones. Mm-hmm. They don't give you an actual fry. And and then uh, I guess you can have nuggets. This is just kitty fries. I, what, apples. What it sounds like is they'll have like here's your standard Happy Meal. And then you can go in and upgrade to the cheeseburger, the larger fries, and the chocolate milk. But just listen to that sentence. A cheeseburger at a cheeseburger place is an upgrade? Right. They just took the cheese off. That's of if, what they're I offering. mean, if you want happy, that's what happy is. If you want really happy meal. I mean, this if is. You want, if you want, if you want um, chubby meal. Chubby Happy Mill, that's a little bit – that's an upgrade. That's it's a just getting meal. going a little overboard. Pretty soon they're going to be like – you get two whiffs of a cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> ah, 500 calories. That really would be true. Um, I, you know what? They're trying to help. I think that's very nice. Mm. Problem is it's not probably the real problem. Right? No, but they're trying a PR thing here. And yeah. But, you got, but honestly, too, they they're also they're getting rid of the milk. They're getting rid of the chocolate milk. I think mm. you can have milk, but – the chocolate milk won't be in there, but you get water. You can get a, a, a bottle of water. For $5. Yeah. 
I wonder. Oh, and they're getting, and the toys are changing. The toys they're going to do more books instead of oh, really? uh, like the the little throwaway toys. I thought they were doing like political action figures. No, really, not happy meals at this point. Do you remember the day that it, it didn't matter? You just you were just happy because you got to go get your orange soda because mm. that they were famous for their orange soda. So the gross. orange soda that burns on the way down. So mm-hmm. gross. So gross. Um. Yeah. I've been to so many like school activities or whatever where someone rolls in with the McDonald's cooler, the big yeah. tall oh, yeah. cooler, and it's all full of that orange drink stuff. Oh, like, oh. That, those were good days. Though. Really? Yeah. You know, I'm still waiting, and I'm, I need to send out a tweet about this. Remember the guy that sent out a tweet about, I want some Wendy's chicken nuggets, and they gave him chicken nuggets for oh, yeah. a year or so? They said if he got so many retweets and he, yeah. he got them. So yeah. I want to tweet Wendy's. All they have to do is put play places. In their establishment, they could blow out the competition like that. I know, but see, then you got another problem. What's that? Uh-oh. You have a pit o bacteria. You have a bacteria pit, and just the bacteria pit done. is just a few hundred feet away from the kitchen. There's, There's a, a door lot that can go wrong. There's there. a door. They it's a they just put a door on it. You're fine. Plus, do you know how many times they lose a kid in there? He'll turn up You're in the ball to, pit. They, they you don't see ball pits anymore at these. Fast food okay. restaurants. Then how about the one with the, the really tall tower where you have one kid crying at the top of the tower. And there's no way for you to get them down. <laughs> <laughs> so then some mother has to, you know, scooch her way through the whole maze to get up to her kid. Up the slide or yeah. something. Yeah. It's or you send the brave older kid in there. I need you to go bring me down that child. Okay, mom, I got him. I got him, mom. And he turns into Rambo. Then mm-hmm. they get lost along the way or distracted. Yeah, those are the days. Now I, you're, I, my age, I don't even see my kids anymore. They're all off for the holiday weekend, and they all went three different directions. Are it's they crazy. really? Mm-hmm. But you can watch them on your phone, though, right? Yeah, you I know. I know where them. they are that way, but yeah. I don't talk to them anymore. You don't have to. You could text them, say, "Hey." Yeah, and they go back. What? It feels. <laughs> what do you want? It feels sad. So what are you doing for the holiday weekend? I'm Olympics? To, I'm going to California. I'm going oh, to that's Anaheim. Right. <gasps> My home. I have a big conference. I'm going to talk to your parents. Mm-hmm. They wanted they wanted to talk to me. So They've got some questions. What are you yeah. conferencing about? What's the topic? Um, I'm talking about building a team. Mm. It's for a huge real estate. Like uh, an MLM or no, do, you, do you have like real estate upline? jokes? Yeah, I've got a lot of realtors. Are they jokes. are they realtors or realtors? They're I call them real, realtors. 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 Because th- there's that commercial that says realtor, and they really yeah. pronounce the, the end of that. Yeah, that's just, really wrong. Okay, just that's their commercial. This it's it's a fun conference. It's um, for Keller Williams, and it's called their family reunion. And I'll be there um, mm. doing some speeches. Now here's the deal, though. Then I have like Monday off. And uh, Tuesday off. Mm. I won't be here Tuesday. What? But it's on the calendar. Here's the oh. thing. Um, yeah, you might want to look at the calendar. But um, it's kind of my anniversary celebration. Oh. So, but the problem is I don't know what to do in L.A. Shake Shack. Shake Shack. Do they probably. have those there? Yeah, I don't but think I've ever been. I we were going to go to the wonderful world of Disneyland, but um, yeah. Yeah. not doing that because it's really crowded. Go to Knott's Berry Farm, and you'll get dizzy on every. I know. I, I, I'm not a big roller coaster guy lately. Fast food at the beach. 
Yeah. She'd like that. Maybe that's what we'll do. Ruby's Diner. Mm. So, on my way, you guys hold down the fort, but I still have an hour and a half of shows ahead of me still. And up next, we're going to be talking about the real future of work. What does the job market look like going forward? Is it going to be more independent contractors? Is it going to be where you you work for three different companies? We'll talk about it straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. The workplace is changing and not necessarily for the better. Uh, David Weil uh, is the dean and professor at the Heller School of Social Policy and Management at Brandeis University. And he has spent the past few decades researching and documenting the changing nature of work. And in 2013, President Barack Obama nominated him to head the division at the Department of Labor that oversees the government's laws on wages. And he's joining us today to help us understand what the future of work looks like. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Matt. This is, um, oh man, times, they are a-changing. You used to just go get your job and... You'd stay at your job, you'd ride that job, you'd use all the benefits, you'd get, um, you know, you'd eventually be able to retire from it. But the future doesn't seem to be going that way. Uh, now it seems like more, we, we're going to work for more companies, we're going to have different types of classifications. Talk to us about where you see this all going. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. It is a very different world. Um, you know, I think there was there used to be a day where you could start in a mailroom in a big company and work your way up and acquire skills and get advancement and have a career in one place or maybe just a couple of places. Um, and that's really has changed, uh, and it's really changed over the last twenty uh, plus years. But it's accelerated since the Great Recession, and the reality is major businesses in our economy have really reorganized themselves and they've reorganized themselves in a way that a lot of the work that still is is central to what they need to do to get the job done, whether that's providing hotel services or building buildings or doing next day delivery for our packages. Um, they've changed the way they do that work by shifting a lot of that work out to other players, to subcontractors, to outsource firms, to staffing agencies. And, and that means the world works a very different place for a lot of a lot of folks now. So as they use subcontractors, I mean, some of this seems like, you know, smart business where if I hire a subcontractor to do it, they have to carry the employees and the benefits and all of those costs. But a, a, a lot of this is just, it seems like reclassifying these employees from being, you know, a full-time employee, you know, on salary to just being maybe a wage or a minimum wage or um, right. a, a 1099. Talk about how we're classifying differently. Sure. No, that, that's that's exactly right. And and it is true that, that these changes are coming from a lot of different sources. One is, you know, as, as the world gets more digital, as uh, the way markets work change, you know, it's always been true that where a firm starts and stop changes with that. But the real problem here is around things like, uh, as you say, classification. So let me give you a couple of examples. Um, 
there are a lot of folks, for instance, who work in uh, big distribution centers of the of the major companies that are either doing uh, brick and mortar retailing or the newer kinds of of direct to home delivery. And the folks in those distribution centers, increasingly, even though they're a distribution center owned by a company like Walmart or Amazon or any of the big players. Um, and that big distribution center, everything that goes on there is by the standards of the major retailer. A lot of the folks uh, working in there are working for staffing agencies. And sometimes uh, we found this in our own enforcement work when I was in the, in the Department of Labor, the people who actually are doing the loading or the unloading of trucks in those distribution centers are called independent contractors. Hmm. And if you call someone an independent contractor, if instead of giving them a W-2, you pay them on a 1099 basis. Uh, the way it's supposed to work, that means they're kind of their own business. They're, you know, they're they're taking the risk for themselves. They're making good business or bad business decisions, uh, and it's on them. But the problem is, in more and more of these what I call fissured workplace structures, um, people are being misclassified as independent contractor, even though with respect to everything they do, um, they're really the employees of a staffing agency or sometimes they're a joint employee of the staffing agency and maybe some company that's running um, that distribution center for a big retailer. Hmm. But, but there are big, what, what, what unfortunately individuals often don't know when they become independent contractors, you lose a lot. You're no longer protected by the fair labor standards act, which makes sure that you're paid a minimum wage and that you're, qualified for overtime you know you can you lose unemployment insurance you you lose worker compensation coverage uh the occupational safety and health act which requires you to be in a safe and healthy workplace all of those things fall away if you are a, a 1099 worker and while there are legitimate independent contractors out there um this fissured workplace kind of environment creates a lot of cases where people are misclassified as independent contractors, and they're very a lot of risk gets shifted onto them. Is it because uh, in the, in kind of the knowledge worker era, which we are in, it seems like at the higher end of this, there's a lot of benefits to being an independent contractor. You kind of run your own company, you work with multiple companies, maybe as a con- as a consultant or whatever. Right. So at one level, it seems like it's really. It's it's really a great opportunity, and then but further down the chain, if you're if you're more of uh, you know a factory worker or or some of these people that are loading trucks, it almost seems like you're at the ugly end of the stick where you're really just yeah. going to take a beating. Right. No, I I think that's that's true, and that's certainly it's the it's the low wage, lower skilled work that has been the, the those most affected to this time. Uh, by by the fissured workplace, you know there are a lot of uh, hotels where the people who clean the rooms are actually working for a staffing agency. Wow! And um, you know those folks, uh, you know, in some cases, if you were in a in a hotel maybe that was uh, had a collective bargaining agreement with a union, you'd have a lot of benefits along with a reasonable wage, and you'd have a, a job letter. And even where you had in the in the uh, you know earlier times, big companies who were non-union. If you were part of the company, if you're sort of part of the family, um, there's a lot of evidence in labor economics that showed you got kind of a bump in wages. You were kind of paid a, a little more because you were part of this family. And when you get shifted out, though, 
and and particularly as you as you described it, if you're a low wage worker, you're suddenly working for a tiny subcontractor that might be scrapping for that same job, and that means you are your your kind of fate is going to look very different. You're no longer part of that hotel. You're no longer part of that big company. Mm. And that means your wages are going to go down and that you're not going to have access. You know, you're no longer in the mailroom. You, you, if you're a contractor in the mailroom, you're no longer part of that company and going to work your way up to the top. You're in a little contract box and your prospects for your future are very different. Wow. What's and, who's doing? Yeah. I mean, is this a, is this the corporation? Because um, I, where I saw it, like really starting to take hold, but I'm not sure it was a cause effect, was um, when when President Obama was uh, was you know creating the Health Care Act. It seemed like then a lot of companies wanted to move people out of full time jobs into like part time jobs, just under their just under the required 28 hours or 30 hours. Um, was it was it a shift because of a policy made somewhere or was it coming from the other direction because of Ubers and Lyfts and all of these other companies that are creating other opportunities? Right, right. You know, it happened before both events that, that these kinds of changes really started to happen. You can date in specific industries the changes going back into the nineteen late 1980s, early 1990s. Hmm. I think what really amplified this and made this spread much more quickly was the Great Recession, where you had a lot of companies in a lot of sectors basically um, facing with with the drop in demand with all of the things that happened with the Great Recession. They started clearing out their ranks and they started to shift a lot of these work out to contractors. Um, what then happened is I think a lot of businesses said, hey, this is pretty cool. You know, I can still... I might still have all these standards and requirements in place for my subcontractors, for my outsourced work that makes them still produce according to what I need as a big player. You know, they're going to hit my marks and whether it's technical standards or time standards, but I don't have to have this messy problem of having these people as my employees. So what you saw you know, it's, it's quite typical after coming out of a recession that companies kind of first dip their toe in the water and just start hiring people on more of a temporary basis. What really happened after the Great Recession is companies kept doing that. Uh, they just kept, instead of ramping up their own employee ranks, they used more of these alternative arrangements to do it. Um, there's an amazing statistic by two labor economists, uh, Larry Katz and Alan Kruger, who looked at how common these things they call alternative work arrangements, I would call fissured workplace relationships, how much that changed between 2005 and 2015, so two dates spanning the Great Recession. And what their research finds is that 94% of net employment growth over that period, virtually all net employment growth in our economy uh, came in these alternative work arrangements, different co- and whether it's independent contracting, staffing agencies, um, on-call hires, that's where the job growth came out of. Uh, wow. And that, and and that, you know, I think it, it, it that more than anything really fueled and amped up a change that was already happening. 
uh, in a lot of parts of the economy. You bet. We're speaking with uh, David Weil. Uh, David is the dean and professor at the Heller School of Social Policy and Management at Brandeis University. His research includes interests in the public and labor market policy, and he's written uh, many books. One book we're talking about today is The Fissured Workplace, Why Work Became So Bad for So Many and What Can Be Done to Improve It. Um, and uh, really, is this what we're calling, David, These is this a contingent worker? It, it is in many cases. Uh, it, you know, it, it, you don't have the kind of long-term relationship with uh, your employer, um, whoever that employer might be. And it means um, you can't depend on that job as being a place you're going to be for years and years. Uh, so it's contingent in that basis. It's contingent in a lot of the things, I think, certainly um, I'm, I'm old enough and have less enough hair on my head to, you know, to be in an era where you really could expect a lot of things came when you were an employee. You got right. benefits, you got a pension, you got, you know, you got access to, to growth and opportunity. Um, and that really isn't uh, true for so many jobs. You know, going back to something else you said, Matt, um, I think one of the things we got to be very aware of is this fissured relationship is starting to work its way up the education ladder. That mm. it's now less and less true that a college degree in and of itself, even an advanced degree, a professional degree like a law degree, insulates you from these realities that um, I have heard, I've read documentation, and there's evidence in a number of studies that said people, even with advanced, with, with college degrees and beyond, um, are increasingly facing this kind of same pressure. They're in jobs that are not paying as well as they used to for the degree of, of education you have. Um, you're no longer getting the kind of access to a career with that employer that you might once have. Um, even jobs, I was recently talking to someone who uh, works in Silicon Valley and talking about programming job, and they had heard uh, me talk about uh, the work I've done. And they came up to me afterwards and said, you just described what's going on and how programmers are hired in Silicon Valley now. That, oh, really? that more and more programmers are no longer working as the direct employees of the big companies we all know uh, and use their products every day. Um, but instead, they're being hired on in temporary relationships. So mm. if, if a programming degree in this economy doesn't assure you uh, the kind of stability we used to associate with, you know, getting a higher degree uh, that, you know, that's pretty worrisome. And it means we need to rethink a lot of things about our our public policies. Exactly. And also, it seems that if if I'm a contingent worker, then you're going to get uh, kind of a contingent loyalty from me and a contingent uh, passion from me. Like I mean, it used to be we were we were like somehow. Uh, connected um, and almost our our sense of who we were was working for the company we work for. But now I wonder if we're not creating more disjointed, maybe less engaged people simply because I'm not – it's not my brand. Right, right. I just no, – all I, I think, do is move the widget. <laughs> I think that's, that's absolutely true and that, that is true that a lot of loyalty historically people got from working for a big company was – you know, the companies, union or non-union, you know, did right by those people. Right. There was there was a wonderful story last fall in the uh, New York Times that looked at two janitors um, and sort of talked about their careers. They were two janitors 
for big tech companies. So one was a woman named Gail Evans, who they profiled, who started as a janitor for Kodak in the 1980s. And when hmm. Kodak was in its heyday, and Kodak was in those days on the cutting edge of technology. And Gail Evans started as a janitor. Because she was a Kodak employee, she had access to some college uh, tuition remission. So she took courses in this, you know, strange field called information technology. Mm. And she got to know about information technology in the 1980s. She was laid off from her job in a, or the plant she was working in at one Kodak facility closed. She got moved to another Kodak facility because she was a Kodak employee. And that manager saw that Yale Evans had some skills uh, in information technology. And that began a progression where she ended up being a vice president for information technology wow. at Kodak. And according to this story, you know, they take, take her story to the president. She's an executive vice president at Mercer Healthcare in, in information technology. You know, that's a story. Now, everyone didn't get to be senior vice president. Right. In the old day. And I want to talk about like the good old days were the only way to do things. But that is a story where an employee employer had commitment to its workers and its workers gave commitment back to the employers. Mm. You know, you juxtapose that to someone working as a contractor uh, for that uh, an employee. And in this particular article by Neil Irwin, he, you know, he talked about a woman named Marta Ramos, who is a janitor for Apple. And she is worked for a contractor. She was not part of Apple. You know, she is not going to enjoy Apple doesn't employ janitors anymore. And, you know, that can be for reasons that from a business perspective make, make sense. Um, but the reality is uh, there are fewer people who have that kind of link and dedication to a, an employer who can provide the kinds of upward mobility that we used to see. Mm. And what's troubling is we really don't haven't thought through the problem, whether these are public solutions or private solutions or probably, most importantly, some mix of the two. We haven't thought through the fact that the world looks different. And so these kind of opportunities are no longer going to be out there. Yeah. They're, they're going to be harder to find for people. Um, and, and, and that means there are implications for that, as you're saying, for the loyalty people are going to have to any given employer implications for that about who's going to be providing these kinds of skills, upgrading and, and opportunities. It's um, it's a strange thing, too, when you see so many stories in the news of, you know, an airline or an airline company where one employee makes a very public mistake and it na and it goes so viral that it can bring down the stock price, you know, by a hundred million dollars. Right. It seems like of all the times you'd want a little more control and a little bit more loyalty, um, now would be the time. Talk, uh, though, for us, David, as we wrap up, what what would you do? You know, I have two kids of college age, three more on the way. And so what do we do to prepare our children for this fi this fissured workplace and, and a future where uh, it's, you know, it's more broken than it is unified? Yeah, no, I, I think that that is a great question, and that's a question I think we have to grapple with a lot more in our public discussions of these things. I mean, clearly, more and more risk is being shifted onto our children. You know, if, if I can give you one more statistic yeah. that really speaks to that, um, there's a group of economists and sociologists out at Stanford, uh, led by a guy named Raj Chetty, that have done studies about what's the chance 
that your kids are going to do better than you. You know, there's this basic kind of assumption we all make, we all grew up with, that in, in you know, one of the great virtues of this country is you're going to do better than your parents, you know, that, right. that's sort of the motivate. And if you look at someone born in 1940, they had a 90% chance of doing better than their parents did. Yeah. You know, so that's the American dream and, and the facts bore it out. If you look at a, a young person or a baby born in 1980, the chance that they're going to do better than their parents is, is 50-50. Oh, wow. A coin toss. And that's happened in a 40-year span. And my guess is the people, the young people going in now, and I, like you, I have two, two daughters who are, who are out in the work world now. Um, that is the reality they're facing, a much tougher time in terms of putting together a career that's going to allow them to have better economic success than their parents. Hmm. So it is true that means they're going to need to be laser focused on things like skill acquisition and ways to better their own, uh, reduce their own exposure to risk because the workforce is going to be more volatile and they're going to move around more. But I think what we have to get away from is saying that's enough, yeah. um, that that's going to be sufficient to insulate them. And that's where we really have to say there needs to be other ways we put more of our uh, the business community, our public policies um, with skin in the game to make sure that our children do their part in, in being prepared for, for being successful in the workplace. But we've also got to figure out ways that what used to be a function of businesses, it used to be the way we were wired, we find other ways to give them those opportunities so that they can then, you know, recreate this idea of an American dream where kids do better than their parents once again. Absolutely. Dr. David Weil, thank you so much for your insight, your great work. The name of the book is The Fissured Workplace, Why Work Became So Bad for So Many and What Can Be Done to Improve It. Uh, one of the great uh, thinkers, I think, in the field, and we appreciate his time. Again, dean and professor at the Heller School of Social Policy and Management at Brandeis University. Doing what we can, folks, to give you the tools you need for the future. Uh, really, it's no longer about just having the skills. Now you've got to be able to to understand and, and move through all of this uh, the fissured workplace that we might be living in. We'll continue to be by your side. This is the Matt Townsend Show. back and it's time to do a little uh we're going to call it the coach's couch yes and terry's going to uh share a personal experience we will do a little um could you please leave your shoes on this therapy. coach's couch though please it's such a good couch though i uh was filling up gas yeah. on uh wednesday yeah sure went got out put the nozzle in started the process I, you know you get the squeegee start cleaning yeah. windows uh you could hear the pump stop Finished with the squeegee, put it back in the bucket, got in the car, and drove away. Yeah. Heard a big clunk. Was like, uh-oh. Looked in the, 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 the door mirror, and I could see the nozzle was still sticking out of my car. <laughs> I had driven away from the pump, and uh, I was like, oh, I just broke the pump. Wow. You almost so, blew up the entire so facility. So I backed the car back to where I was, got out, went over, took the nozzle out, put it back in the, the pump. And the hose was sitting there, so I kind of moved it out of the way so that no one would drive over it. 
and it has a quick release on the hose, so there's no problem. It shuts the pump off, and so I mean, there's no problem. So you had, let me get this right. Yeah, <laughs> you had the nozzle stuck in your in your gas tank. Yeah, and the actual hose had been disconnected and was on the ground. Yes, it was just kind probably of probably just leaking out just the, the smallest yeah, amount of fuel. Whatever the whatever fuel's left in the line yeah. was dribbling out cuz you could smell a little bit of gas, but it was like just spewing everywhere sure. cuz it has to shut off. There's a safety mechanism. Yeah. And I didn't know that that's how that works. I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." That was really smart because otherwise huh. you would have I guess been a a tater tot. Yeah, I would have made headlines. I was like, "Interesting." So at that point, I put the nozzle back in and there was a delivery guy who was bringing bread or something yeah. in, and he looked back at me and then he looks he was moving in the door of the convenience store of the gas station yeah. and he looked at me and then looked over at the register and then said something. Yeah, so now you've been caught. Well, I'm not caught, but I assumed he had told them something had happened. Yeah. So what should I do? Well, I mean, I got in my car and sped away. I didn't speed away. I just drove away. I figured they knew what happened. It's got a quick release, which means it just pops back in. Well, it just seems like, okay, let's let's just look at it this way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, whatever the ethics was, where you should have, you, you're lucky to be alive. <laughs> There's that, yeah. I mean, you could have exploded. You could have also been like the stereotypical person driving through yeah. Salt Lake City dragging an entire fuel pump. All these photos start showing up, yeah. That's okay, me. so all that aside, yeah. um, I, I may have, I, I don't know, I guess I... Because I, I, I saw the delivery no, guy get, notify the I register. Yeah, I mean, well, but... Should I have gone in and said, hey, I, I did well, this? Well, I it's, mean, it's let's just say you didn't destroy a pump. I drove, it's right by my house. I have drove by the last couple of days. The pump's right there. People are filling up. It's Let, no big let's deal. Let's just say that, but let's just say you didn't do that, but you actually just... Gently bumped into a car, yeah, in the parking lot here at work. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, like backing into a car like me. You, you, wow, that was kind of loud. Um, you probably would have gotten out and said, "Hey, mm. sorry for bumping into you. It, right. it, it, it's all good now." Sorry for bashing your car in. You don't seem too damaged. <laughs> so, uh, or someone told me when that happened, my car's okay. Yeah, I went, thanks. I mean, I wonder. I mean. I wonder if that's the same thing that maybe should you should have, I have you gone should have in pulled and, in and just said, hey. Hey, by the way. Something happened. This Your pump, <laughs> you, the, the tube fell off. My, yeah, that's what I would have said. I was like, well, the delivery guy already notified them. Should I? Well, but it's not, I guess it's not about notifying. And now it's more about um, accountability. Eh. Do you have insurance? <laughs> but I, the quick release, I was looking at it as like a magnet situation so it's oh, just cool. something you pop back on and twist and you're done oh yeah that's what they say but you had to bring in the technical expert yeah so what did your wife say um she laughed yeah of course. because we've made fun of those photos you see them all the time oh, yeah. someone with the, and then she said i probably should have gone in and yeah said something so i mean maybe i mean unless that delivery guy was working for you maybe he was your agent i don't know it just seemed like uh okay well, everybody, just think about it for a minute. We'll take a quick break, come hmm. back, and then we'll give the final verdict on what Terry should have done ethically in the case of the, oops, I'm too busy to undo my own guess tank. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, folks, to uh, Judge Townsend's uh, courthouse. Yeah, I think you should have stopped. You should have just pulled right in. Mm-hmm. 
and said, hey, something's wrong. <laughs> something's wrong with the pump. The, the, yeah. I would have said the I, hose I, fell I off disconnected the nozzle. The nozzle yeah. So the hose is out there. I moved it out of the way so no one would drive over it's it. It's all but, good. Yeah. Are we good? And if, so, they, if they're like, how did this happen? Say, it, darndest thing. I don't know. I was just sitting in my car. Next thing I know, I heard a clunk. I so got out. What is your sentencing? Oh, yeah. The sentence is um, no. Pay attention when you're pumping gas. Pay attention when you pump gas. Okay. And no, um, I'd say no. No mixed beverages like <laughs> no Mountain Dew for the next. Wow, that's my month. penalty? Yeah. All right. Yep. Sorry. It'll be tough, but I'll serve my sentence. What it also once again proves as is as that you you're know. a human being, Terry. Well, there's that too. Oh, and if that guy hadn't been there to see you, mm. I wonder if they wrote down your number. We'll find out, won't we? Yeah. Yeah, we sure will. <laughs> this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you through your daily problems. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Happy Friday to you. And uh, along with Terry and Jeff, the gang is gathered. We uh, Because it's Friday, we like to get you ready, get you launched for... The weekend. So the the uh, next hour, not this hour, but next hour, Jeff will be taking over the show. Scary. <laughs> I don't know why that just, every time I say that, my stomach drops and I'm like, oh boy, this could go so many different directions. Well, if you feel that way about it, then maybe you should come to work on Tuesday. Anyway, I uh, won't be doing that. <laughs> uh, we... Uh, we we've got a great show again. Still, still the country still struggling, reeling from the Florida uh, shootings um, at the high school. Now the names are being released of the victims. Amazing stories and and her, and heroic stories are coming out of uh, these um, uh, the news reports as of uh, even this morning. Let me give you some, let me give you the seventeen names of the people that that were killed in the shooting. Alyssa. Uh, Al Hadef is a soccer player. She was 14 years old, and Scott Beagle was a teacher who um, they they loved. He was a hero, and still will forever be a hero. Martin Duque Anguiano. He was a 14 year old student. Nicholas Dwarit was a star swimmer, 17 year old senior in the high school who was on I think on his way to the University of Indianapolis. Um, and even now, the University of Indianapolis's president has made a statement talking about the fact this shows you how universal and international, how all of our lives are connected now because um, now Indianapolis is involved because they lost a, a future student. Aaron Feist was the football coach that put his his life on the line and, and shielded other students from being shot. Uh, uh, Jamie Gutenberg was a student. She was a 14-year-old student. Um, she passed away in the shooting. Chris Hickson was the athletic director a lot of coaches and, uh, were involved in uh, – I don't know if they were targeted, but they were involved in the shooting and, and and put themselves in very difficult situation trying to protect students. Luke Hoyer was a 15-year-old that passed away. Kara Lofren, Gina Montalto uh, were both 14-year-old girls. Joaquin Oliver, a 17-year-old boy, 
um, was uh, killed. Elena Petty actually was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and um, was part of the Helping Hands program where they go around and serve uh, people that are in need. And um, she played a big role also uh, in the junior ROTC program at her school, uh, which is a leadership program for retired Army personnel. Meadow Pollock was killed. She's an 18-year-old. Uh, Helena Ramsey, 17-year-old. Alex uh, Schachter, 17-year-old. Carmen Shentrip was a 16-year-old. And Peter Wang was a 15-year-old. A lot of lives, folks. And a lot of families, when you think about it behind it, uh, behind each one of these, uh, these are human beings and families and stories and pain and suffering. Um, and again, not a lot that can be said, except it's interesting. What happens to a generation that is raised hearing these stories over and over and over? And maybe this is a thing where the future generations, we already see that the, like, the millennials are different. They're, they, they actually believe less in institutions. Um, statistically than maybe uh, some of us from an older generation. And so what happens to uh, people that grow up seeing, you know, shootings like this and fellow friends and students uh, going through such tragedy? One person commented um, that I saw that, boy, the hardest thing is going to be going back to school. How do you go back and, uh, and make sense of any of this? So again, keep offering your prayers. And more importantly, let's start offering some change. Let's start thinking, all of us, think a little bit different about what we can do about this. There are some other hero stories we'll be able to bring up throughout the, the coming weeks as well. Let's now get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? Officials in New York have uh, foiled a potential terror plot, plot likely saving many, many lives, Mayor Bill de Blasio said late Thursday. Two twin brothers were arrested in the Bronx earlier in the day on suspicion of building an explosive device. They, uh, the pair identified as uh, so two guys. They allegedly stockpiled more than 32 pounds of ingredients for explosives, though their motives and plans targeted, uh, and their, whatever their target was, remain unclear. According to the criminal complaint, the brothers paid students. One of them was a, a former teacher. Wow. They yeah. paid students to destroy fireworks and preserve the powder that came out. And they were trying to stockpile that for an explosive of some kind. Oh, wow. So they believed the two were working alone, but they caught wind of that and were able to stop that before anything actually happened. So that happened yesterday. Hmm. Interesting. President Trump uh, is reported to have said privately after the Florida shootings, or school shooting, that uh, we have to do something. But what exactly that something is remains unclear to his staff. Trump told White House officials he wants to know what our options are, according to an administration source. According to Axios, the senior administration official says the uh, the administration is setting up meetings with parents from Columbine and Sandy Hook, governors, state attorney generals, law enforcement, and more, and will be do- doing so continually for the next several weeks. The president plans to visit Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida in the near future. So that's kind of some of the things that's coming out of the White House. Yeah. Even though the, what, six, seven-minute uh, address he made yesterday on the subject he talked about mental health and these different issues, but never actually mentioned the word gun, which a lot of people noticed. Right, right. They feel that's a big part of the problem. Do you remember? I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, but it's different. Being a Republican in the current climate, probably nothing major to be changed on that, on the gun side of things, but right. the mental health side of things and maybe some actual public policy issues, maybe there's something there that can be done. It, it seems like such a strange thing because the... Uh, what's it called? The bump stock. Everybody was on board with the bump stock. Yeah, for about a week, yeah. After um, that shooting in uh, Vegas. And yet, 
Nothing. No, there's. I think like, there's some you know, loca- localities have done something on on their level, but nothing across the nation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, we, you don't have to have major gun law changes necessarily, but something. Yeah. One thing. Yeah. Just something, and then the mental health would be another thing. No. Something. We'll see. We'll see. The fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals on Thursday ruled that President Trump's ban on people traveling into the U.S. from six Muslim-majority countries is unconstitutional. The appeals court, in a 9-4 to four vote, stated that the travel ban violates the Constitution by discriminating on the basis of religion. The Supreme Court permitted the executive order to be carried out while the lower courts hashed, it out, hashed out its legality. The Fourth Circuit went further than the Ninth Circuit Court's decision, which earlier ruled that the ban violated federal immigration law but failed to address the policy's constitutionality. The Supreme Court will hear the, the travel ban case in June, which banned people from and then it lists all the countries uh, from their early entry into the United States. So before it was uh, an immigration law violation. Now it's constitutionally wrong. Oh, wow. According to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So we'll see where this goes, but it just keeps <sighs> churning through the, sure. the court system. The field of teenage candidates running for Kansas governor has grown to seven. Hmm. And the latest contender isn't even from the state. 18-year-old Connor Sheldon, a University of Delaware student from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, was inspired to enter the race when a man launched a short-lived campaign for his dog, Angus. Election officials put the brakes on the dog's candidacy, but Kansas doesn't have an age or residency requirement. For oh, the, wow. For the so governor. Really? You can't, the dog can't run, no. but an 18-year-old from another state absolutely can. And six others from Kansas. You all, you, they can all run. And now they're, as says, lawmakers are seeking to make that change. There's a bill in their legislature right now to block all of these <laughs> kids from doing this. This is why, you know, legislation isn't the highest form of living. Yeah. Right? Because so. all you do is keep legislating. Now, he says the, the chemical engineering major uh, described his candidacy as an experiment of sorts. In addition to the teens running for governor, a teen is running for Kansas Secretary of State. Also, because it doesn't have residency or age requirements. Right. And apparently, they're holding debates and these kids come in and they have great ideas and they're treating this. It's not a joke. They're not doing this for a stunt. Right. They come in, they're dressed you know, appropriately for that sort of a venue and they're able to have a, a, a honest policy discussion Sure. So what's the problem if it's all on the level? Well, no. He's 18, so no, he just, he's honestly, disqualified? Well, I, I think no matter what, it's, hey, That's great. That's ageism. But, yeah, it is. And, and good good for the kid. This is great. I mean, it, it really is. At least he cares. Yeah. Enough to do something. I mean, seriously. What? It's, got, it's, it's hard to get your name on a ballot, I'm sure. Right. But don't you think there should be an age requirement for oh, governor? Sure. Okay. He doesn't have a chance. But I just think it's interesting that there's that problem. And they're like, wait a second. What? They found a loophole and it's ticked off uh, the legislature. Yeah. Uh, finally, you don't expect a hair-raising discovery to come from a book of population estimates for the American colonies. Especially one with the boring title of Gaines Universal Register for American and British Calendar for the Year of 1793. Rip, rip. Really? There was a hair-raising discovery from that book. That sounds like the most boring book you could possibly <laughs> find. It says, yet buried what? in the volume kept on a library shelf at Union College in upstate New York was just such a find. A lock of George Washington's hair. Now, how do we know it's George's hair? I think they've tested it. Archivists Daniel Mickelson stumbled upon the six strands of gray-white hair tied with a thread inside an envelope tucked into the leather-bound book during a recent inventory review, reports the USA Today. Yeah. How did it get there? 
there. As Fox News reports, the book at one point belonged to the son of General Philip Schuller. S, I can never say names. S-C-H-U-Y-L-E-R. Schuler. Schuler. Is that what it is? Schuler. 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 Let's call him Schuler. <laughs> In addition to being one of the college's founders and a close friend of Washington who served under him during the Revolutionary ah. War, Schuler was also Alexander Hamilton's father-in-law, per the press release. Since, also, apparently, liked hair. Apparently, since locks of hair were given as keepsakes... Oh, how awkward is that? Experts believe that Martha Washington gave it to Hamilton's wife, her close friend Eliza. An inscription on the envelope describing it as Washington's hair suggests Eliza gave it to her third son, James, who then gave it to her his granddaughters, who were descendants of the Schuler guy. How do you hand that hair down and not sound creepy when you say, cherish it always? I'm going to give you something I don't give everyone. Locks of hair. And <laughs> Martha, then, bring the scissors. It's covered in powder. Because Washington did not wear a wig. Oh, he just had to powder up. He powdered up because that was the style of the day. But can you imagine every time George would sneeze, he looked like... (laughs) An explosion of talc. (laughs) He also looked like... uh, what was the name of the the guy on Charlie Brown that just walked around in the Pig pen? Isn't that how they came up with the idea for the powdered donut? Like he just had a plain donut, sneezed, got all over, and he's like, that's not a bad idea. Eureka! (laughs) That is... That's... That's crazy. Yeah. So let me get this straight. I don't. Well, again, I, other than you can try to, does it meet the requirements of someone from that time period and hair and stuff? I mean, you can't do DNA, obviously, because. Well, I guess you could go look at his. They bones, probably but. know, but they probably know from his family line. Yeah, I mean, there's that historical DNA. record of mm-hmm. people passing it down. Where all there's a relation back and forth. So. Well, that's great. I know what I'm getting you guys. For Father's Day, it's not a common thing to do anymore. Well, it's, who it's cares? Still creepy. Well, we, creepy's we, in the eye of the. We have apps. The we, we have apps for phones that cost a dollar. That's a, I think, a more sensible gift than you know a hair oh. from Matt Townsend. I'm gonna get you some hair. Oh man, I'm gonna get you some hair, and I might even get you some of my gray hair. Well, there's more every day. So you're giving us garbage because those are the hairs that people get rid of. I have my barber specifically cut only the gray hair out. Mm. Takes hours. I try to hold on to my gray hairs like if they come in my eyebrows or my beard and not like as a keepsake. I try to keep them on my face. Oh, really? My wife has this – she cannot stand seeing – a, a gray hair or a blemish, and so she'll try to take it out, and it's like, I'm let me be me, let me, let be me, me age naturally. Yeah, but the one that you that I can see right now flapping in the wind, like the four inch one on your left cheek, that's <laughs> awkward. Doesn't that bother you? Anyway, I do it as a test, just so so I can tell you I'm up here. Look at my eyes. Look at me up here. I'm a human too over here. <laughs> well. Whatever. Hey, uh, any uh, any empty news for us, Jeffrey? What else is out there that uh, you know the, the the people want to know about? Absolutely. You know, oftentimes we give unsolicited advice to these crooks. Yeah. But it's not oftentimes that the crooks actually ask for advice, and definitely not from the victims. Right. So listen to this, Minnesota police. You're not going to believe this. Minnesota police recovered a car reported stolen from Walmart on Monday night. 
Okay, so yeah. far, typical story. According to a police report, the car owner told police she auto-started her car from inside the store that evening and instead of finding it warmed up, came out to find it gone. Oh, boy. So, again, somebody's car stolen. Yeah. Not, nothing too uh, out, of, out of the ordinary about that. The car eventually was found about an hour away along with the man suspected of stealing it. About 10.30 p.m., the owner received a call from a woman saying a man was asking her questions about the car. Hmm. The thief then spoke to the owner on the phone and told her his name was Wayne Hennon and he worked for a he worked for a glass repair shop. Yeah. After Wilson parked the car, it would not start again because you need to have the key, right? Right. Uh, so he had called to ask if she would contact someone who could start the car for him. During the phone call, police responded to a suspicious person complaint and found it was Wilson and the stolen vehicle. After being arrested, Wilson admitted to stealing the vehicle and that he knew that it was not a good idea to get in the vehicle. Yeah. So he called the woman that he stole from asking, how do you start this thing again? Oh, no. See? Come on. The other thing that's wrong with Use this story, brain. do police really sit down with people and and be condescending and say things like, now, that was wrong when you stole that car, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was wrong. <laughs> yeah, me bad. This reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where uh, a car is stolen. I think it's Jerry's car. And <laughs> Kramer comes by and he's like, oh, no, I had my gloves in your glove compartment. So he gets – he calls up the car phone in Jerry's car and they're asking the crook, are there gloves in the glove compartment? <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're right here. And Jerry gets on the phone and he's like, uh, can you return my car? And the crook says, mm, I don't think so. It's not, not going to be It's that. not a good time for me. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Would you call somebody that you had just no. robbed and ask him? Hey, bud. Yeah. I know where you are. I wouldn't – what I would do is just track the iPhone. Back then, they probably didn't have the technology on the Seinfeld show. But now I would just track my iPhone and I'd go find the car. Like and I'd bring, you know, I'd bring you guys along for some. Sure, I was going to say muscle, but Terry's got muscle, and then you've got that gray hair, that ominous, scary gray hair. So, if you stole somebody's Xbox, for instance, why would I do that? And there was a password protected level that you couldn't get to. Would you call the person up and say, "Can I get that password? I'd really like to get to the next level." Yeah, I wouldn't dare. Yeah, I don't dare. Ask them to take food back if I don't like it. Really? No. Why? I oh, just, you mean that like at a, at a restaurant or at a store? Yeah, at a restaurant. At a store, I'll do it. I don't even at a store. Like if, a, I, if I if I bought something and I'd my wife will. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I'm very weird that way. Here's the next question, though. Yeah. As a follow up to your hypothetical, would you return the food at a restaurant if you found a hair in it? Oh. Uh, no. What? Yeah, I don't know why. No, I, actually, had... I would. I probably really? would. that would make me sick enough that I wouldn't eat it, and then my wife would say, "Okay, yeah, I'm, we're taking this back." I don't know why I had that shocked response because I've had a hair in my food a couple of times, and I've kind of just you know scooped that out, <laughs> moved that section of the dish aside, you know, you and didn't check it. Is it hot? Is is the plate hot? <laughs> if it's hot, then I might eat it because it's clean, but. I, I would get rid of the hair, obviously. That just uh, – see, there's a lot of people listening right now that are squirming because that is pretty bad. Don Shaline, 
Yeah. He's going to come in here and have a talk with us about this. Oh, boy. Busted. Okay, see the crazy stuff. Now, here's here's another just uh, as we go to our break here. Our, our next topic and guest we're going to be talking with, it's one of the most memorable interviews I think I've done on the show. His name is John Elder Robison. He wrote a book called Switched On, and and, and Robison had, uh, uh, you know, what's it called? Autism, a form of aut- autism, like, like Asperger's, really, where he wasn't able to feel the emotions of others. And then they did a, a, an experimental brain um, activity or a brain procedure on him. It stimulated part of his brain where he now was able to feel all of this emotion. And he's going to talk about how overwhelming it was to have so much emotion in his life. Ah, fascinating interview straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, uh, helping you understand life. Welcome back, friends. Imagine living without one of your senses, and one day it's switched on. Suddenly you can hear for the first time or see color. Well, our next guest, John Elder Robison, knows what it feels like, but John wasn't blind or deaf before this miraculous change. Mr. Robison has Asperger's, a form of autism that left him without the ability to read emotions, and I was able to talk with him about how his life suddenly changed changed not long ago. I asked him to talk about his book, Switched On, and what switched on for him. Uh, what switched on in me was the ability to... Uh read emotional cues from other people. I was always able to feel emotions. Um, Autistic people are often thought as not having emotions because we don't show emotional signals a lot of the time, but we actually feel things very deeply. And, And for me, the disconnect and disability was that I couldn't read cues from other people. So if someone was sad, I couldn't sense, for example, that she was sad. I couldn't offer comfort. And I was seen as callous and uncaring when, in fact, I cared very much. And that was a a disabling thing to me. Now, was John, is that is that with most Asperger's people that are that are uh, that have Asperger's? They they can feel the emotion. They just can't see the cues. Um, It's probably not quite as simple as that, but that is the gist of it. Uh, Autism if you've got an autism diagnosis, whether that's autism, PDD-NOS, Asperger's, that means that you've got some kind of communication impairment. You might, um, in traditional autism, have a hard time understanding spoken words or speaking words yourself. Um, with uh, Asperger's, you're more likely to have difficulty understanding the nonverbal cues that make up such a big part of interpersonal communication. Did you um, you say it just switched on your ability now to read the cues switched on? Uh, it did. Now that was a temporary thing. It didn't switch on forever. But what it what happened was the uh, experimental stimulations that I took part in uh-huh. at uh, one of the Harvard teaching hospitals in Boston, Beth Israel. Uh, they temporarily turned on the ability to see emotions in other people at a very strong and intense level. Wow. 
and actually that was disabling. I was overwhelmed by the ordinary emotion of daily life. And, um, and that gradually faded away, but it left me permanently changed. Hmm. Um, just imagine, you know, if you were a colorblind person all your life, and, and you got to be middle-aged, and you just got angry when people talked about beautiful blue sky or green grass, because right. you saw the evidence of your eyes that it was all gray. And, and then imagine you go in a doctor's office, and they switch on color for you. And even if color fades away the next day, you're going to live the rest of your life with the knowledge that color is real, and it's going to change how you see and do everything. Mm-hmm. And that's how it is for me. And and it's overwhelming, you said. Now, this took place in a car ride. Is that is that what happened? Well, um, the stimulations took place in a uh, neuroscience clinic at Beth Israel Hospital in Boston. And what was interesting was the scientists thought that they would stimulate me for half an hour and there would be direct effects that they could measure for about 15 minutes after. So they were very anxious to stimulate me and then test me. And to do that, they put me in front of a computer monitor where I looked at faces with different expressions and pushed buttons for mm-hmm. what they meant. Um, and I didn't feel any different doing that test. So then I sat around the hospital doing you know, paperwork and stuff like that. And I left about two hours later. And it was only when I was in the car listening to music that this like tsunami of emotion washed over me. And, and it was totally unexpected because they had said, well, any effects are going to be long gone by the time you leave the hospital. Mm-hmm. So to be overwhelmed by it that night and then have it carry on, you know, for days after, that was a – it was remarkable but totally unexpected. Oh, yeah. And I, I guess mind-blowing, overwhelming, because one of the things I, I read is that you've – I guess you discerned that the majority or a large percentage of our emotions aren't positive. Well, for for you to say that now, I guess I could like look back on that time and I could say what a naive fool I was to think any different. The right. newspapers are full of bad news, but I had this, I guess, kind of fantasy because I was blind to these emotional signals. I thought there must be all these beautiful, sweet, kind messages that I'm missing, and if I could receive those messages, I would be so much happier. <laughs> And and that fantasy wasn't real, unfortunately. Wow! I mean, really, it's I guess it's it's groundbreaking. It's exciting to think that such, you know, um, such therapy might help and work. But it also is for a man, you know, that's an adult who's experienced life differently. It's got to be just almost earth shattering to then have to deal with emotion constantly. You know, there have been accounts from people who were blind or deaf all their lives, and thanks to modern medical science, they acquire the ability to see or hear in middle age. And those people find what you would think was the relief of a significant disability to be overwhelming and disabling in itself. And for me, seeing emotion... It was a, a dream come true, but when it came true, it wasn't necessarily all I imagined it would be. I saw a lot of sadness, angst, fear, worry, and and I began to internalize all those things that I had been kind of protected against all my life. Hmm. Is it 
Uh, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you Asperger's is is who you are, right? It's it's one of the points you make in one of your books that it's just it's who you are. It's not just a it's not a sickness. It's it's your personality, and then all of a sudden your personality was multiplied, I guess, by whatever ten, and then you then taken away again. When you lost the ability to see the emotion, what did that do to you? Was that a relief? The ability to see emotion came on suddenly, truly like flipping a switch. The fading away was very gradual, and even today, my ability to um, read emotions in conversation and seeing people is markedly better Hmm. than it ever was earlier in my life. So even as it faded away, it is not entirely gone. And that was, as I say, a gradual, gentle thing. Um, one thing that I realized in doing this is that there's no free ride. People often say things like, well, 90% of our brain isn't even being used, and if only we could use it, we would be so much more productive. But in fact, studies show that we do use all our brains. And so when you make a change in me and, and I could suddenly see emotion, it's fair to ask, what were those parts of my brain that see emotion doing before? Mm-hmm. And, and, in, and I now think that those areas of my brain might have been what helped me have a unique insight into machinery and mechanical things. Right. That's what made me successful as an engineer. It's not so much having Asperger's as the ability to see into machines, that was unique. Seeing into people, in a sense, just made me ordinary. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it becomes it becomes your gift. It becomes your advantage. Asperger's is an advantage, and you can change it and become normal. <laughs> Air quotes. Well, there's there's many things about me that are still disabled. So Asperger's is not entirely an advantage. There's they call it a disability because. There's stuff that's disabling, but that particular thing, seeing into machinery, and that was that has been a powerful advantage for me all my life, and I believe that's absolutely due to Asperger's. Yes, hmm. wonderful. And now, um, did you continue the therapy? Are you still doing that therapy? I took part in six studies. Three of the studies were aimed at measuring a parameter called brain plasticity. It's how the brain changes in response to stimulation. Mm -hmm. Those studies didn't have any effect on how I think or perceive the world. And then I took part in three studies that really changed how I see everything. And those studies were in 2008, 2009, and 2010. I haven't done any TMS uh, experiments since then. Is it... um what was what were the findings in the study? If the you findings, know. it was really interesting. They were published in some neuroscience journals. And if you were to read what the scientists published, they it was very dry and technical. <laughs> it was they said things like, "Well, we had you know a dozen subjects, and we we put them in front of a monitor, and we tested them recognizing faces, and then we did TMS stimulations to these areas, and we tested them again." And the autistic subjects, many of them showed noticeably better ability to recognize expressions. So they said that. We were not- a number of us were noticeably better. And they said the people who were not autistic were not affected at all by the 
stimulations, which I thought was interesting, that even though it made us better, it didn't make people who were not autistic super better. Yeah, right. do anything to them. But if you read what they wrote, it's like the life-changing things that happened to me weren't even part of the medical journal articles. They only described what happened in the 15 minutes after the stimulations. Yeah. What about what happened in the days and weeks and months? And that isn't even mentioned in the journal article. Oh, that's sad. Because I mean, well, that, that, I don't know if it's sad. I mean, that's like that's how medical research is structured, yeah. I guess. But that's where the hope is, right? I mean, that's an outlier that they need to go explore, and I'm sure they are. But you're, you're absolutely right. My experience was totally unexpected, and and I think that it is. It's full of hope, not just yeah. for autism and Aspergers, but also it's full of hope for the power of TMS to change the mind to treat other conditions that are really formerly untreatable. Yeah. Oh, I think it's fantastic. And and even just to have the experience. I mean, if every human being, John, could have an experience that is that awakening, um it, it's it would probably it, it it would have incredible uh impact I think on how we treat each other, how we see the world. Uh I just think it's 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 so insightful. It's quite a journey, really. It's you know what I've just realized that's kind of remarkable what? is that people, after I wrote Look Me in the Eye, they remarked on the different things I'd been successful with, I, you know, being an engineer for rock and roll bands and working on some of the uh, earlier electronic games and toys and then, of course, taking up book writing and photography. But all those things are solitary activities. I hmm. did them alone. Yeah, You do that kind of stuff alone. And if you look at what I'm known for today, today I serve on the federal government committee that makes the strategic plan for autism along with 35 other people. Wow. I teach uh, neurodiversity and autism at William & Mary in Virginia, again, with a bunch of students and, and fellow faculty. I, I serve on a bunch of different committees uh, advocating for autism and people with differences. All those things are group activities. Never in my life was I successful in a group activity before doing these experiments. Hmm. And now that's like the main focus of my life. And I realized, isn't that kind of a remarkable change? Yeah. I mean, it really is. And it's so is that, John, your point that there's hope? I mean, there's you this with with Asperger's, it's not a death sentence. It's you also have gifts coming from it as well, um, and it's that uh, there's there's hope that I guess with some of the therapies, but even just I guess with un some understanding, you might be able to improve your conditions. I think one aspect of hope is that my experience uh, suddenly seeing emotion after not seeing it all these years showed me that. Maybe the grass isn't always greener, as mm. I thought it was. And that in itself is hopeful for young people with Asperger's, just that it helped me see my gifts more clearly. But at the same time, I recognize that there are probably quite a few people on the autism spectrum who feel just like I do. They feel disabled by a limited ability to read emotional cues in other people, and they think, what if I could make that better in myself? And I think the promise that we have 
a therapy under research now that can truly do that, that has the potential to be life-changing for others, just as it was life-changing for me. And finally, there's the promise of TMS to treat other conditions like epilepsy, addiction, anxiety, and, and those things can be truly life-saving. Mm. And again, we're just we're really on the cutting edge right now, right? It's just getting That's started. Really it. T- TMS is a targeted therapy where they're firing electromagnetic energy into an area of your brain that's maybe between the size of a marble and the size of a golf ball. So if you kind of hold a marble up to your head and you imagine in this area, holding it up by your temple, we could impact seeing emotions and autism. And then you hold it maybe over by your left ear and you think in this area, we can relieve depression because there's a thousand TMS centers treating depression in the United States today. And then think, how many other places could we put that on your head and what conditions might we be able to treat all the other places we can place it? We haven't even scratched the surface with the potential. Wow. And and TMS stands for what? Transcranial? It stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation. Yeah. And it's a process where they use an electrical coil, like an electromagnet in science class, and they pulse it with energy, and whenever they pulse it, it induces tiny electrical currents in your brain underneath the coil. Hmm. So it's done while you're fully awake and conscious. You don't feel a pain. You might feel, it feels like kind of weird, it like puts your mind in neutral, mm-hmm. but it's, it's definitely not, not a painful thing. Wow. And, um, and it's a gentle process in that it's not done under anesthesia. People sometimes compare it. To ECT. Uh, ECT is a violent jolting of the brain that's done under anesthesia. Yeah, right. Millions of times gentler than that. Now, and you, it's targeted. ECT goes all through your head. Yeah. This doesn't. Are you, you're married, right, John? I am. I actually got divorced after the TMS sessions, and then I that's remarried what, a few years later. Well, yes. what, that's what I wanted to ask you, is how did it impact your relationships? Because... It opened your eyes to such a new kind of world, um, but it also opened yourself up to pain more. As much as I feel hopeful about the promise of TMS, I have to say the impact on the relationships I had going into it was sad. Hmm. My wife had been depressed most of her life. She's just a person with clinical depression, and because I'm oblivious, I guess, to that, or I was, uh, she could wake up in the morning and feel like, well, I can't go to work today. I'm really, I'm just, I'm just feeling really sad today. And I would say, okay, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'll see you later. Yeah. And I could, um, I could live with that. It was okay. We got along and it was, it was okay. But then after TMS, suddenly I saw her depression and it was like a suffocating mat, and I felt like I was drowning. Mm. And married life foundered as a result. And and that's a really, really sad and totally unexpected result of the TMS. I, I would never have expected that. And, right. and you know what was also really sad? What? Was looking at memories where I remembered laughing with other people Mm-hmm. And suddenly, with the knowledge of TMS, it's it's so weird that 
I saw my memories in a different light, and I realized I was the joke. They were laughing at me. Uh. And all of a sudden, where it used to feel funny, now it was hurtful and mean. Yeah. And, and I remembered so many things from my past that I thought were okay or funny, and now they're painful, bad memories. And I can't remember a single thing from my past that turned good in comparison, only things that turned bad. Oh, wow. And, and I now see how autism provided me a tremendous protective shield. And I think about that, and I think, well, aren't I better off to realize those people were laughing at me and they weren't my true friends? And, and I guess that's true, but you know it hurts to know that. Yeah. And, and sometimes you think, maybe I'd rather just be dumb. What was the harm in that to, to not see it? I'd rather not have known. That's right. No, I mean, isn't that – it's the double-edged sword you brought up, huh? It sure is, and, and that was really, really painful. But I have to say that knowing the truth is probably always better, just yeah. that it hurts. Yeah, and – it also kind of just this crazy balance that a lot of us have been thrown into where, you know, we, we not only maybe can see the emotion, but we also have the ability to to manage the relationship. Um, and yet, too, the blessing of knowing that when with, with your autism, you also had the gift of understanding machinery kind of on a genius level that that was a great gift as well. I mean, it's it's like we all carry gifts, don't we? And curses. I think we do. Sometimes people um, miss that, especially parents with children on the autism spectrum, Yeah. because we learn about autism when we're diagnosed because we fail at something. We don't ever learn about it because of the ways it makes us exceptional. And, and autism has disabled me in, in ways like seeing into other people, mm -hmm. but it's provided me the gifts that have made me a successful person, too. Oh, totally. Well, and John, we appreciate you sharing those gifts. That uh, really very insightful into the power of emotion and autism and Asperger's. Um, it's really a beautiful story. John Elder Robison, thank you so much. Again, if they go to the website, johnrobison.com, can, you can get all of his books, his materials, find out how to come in and have him come in and, and counsel your organization on autism as well. John Elder Robison, great stuff. New York Times bestseller, folks. And who to thunk it, right? Turn on the emotions and you still have memories, right? So your memories, you'll go through it with all of your new emotional insight. But how stressful, how difficult, too. Mm. Consider yourself blessed, folks, uh, for, a, for just being where you are and having what you have. Because uh, there's a lot that can go wrong and could go right that could add so much to life in complexity and joy. There's the crazy paradox. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, continue the discussion. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. By the way, the uh, the story there with uh, John Elder Robison, interesting. So if you had to choose between feeling emotions and all the pain and the sadness and the hurt that could be associated with that or no emotions, what do you do? What would your choice be, Jeffrey? Emotions. Feel all of the emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You have to, you, it's, you'd have to, right? Or uh, what would you choose, Terry? I think we already know. I don't know. I think I think emotions can be really complicated. Yeah. And if you avoid them as long as possible and then maybe deal with them in private. Not so bad. Not so bad. I think I have a different perspective on life than a lot of people in that I feel that there should be good and bad in life so that you can under understand and fully appreciate right. the good. Yeah, you need right? both. Yeah. You need both types of emotion. Um, okay, let's get to some other headlines here. Um, t- Terry is uh, apparently – he's found an article where a school's getting serious about football. A state. Oh, an entire state. As I run into the microphone. Uh, so two California legislatures unveiled a plan to outlaw tackle football until high school. Wow. Mm. Parents, coaches, former players mobilizing to protect America's favorite sport from a notorious – Nanny state government of California, as, as this out uh, of the Sacramento Bee, by the way. So there's online petitions already, 30,000 yeah. signatures. People are trying to figure out how do you meet with representatives from the state and make sure they understand where, where we stand on this issue. The uh, Mike Wagner, Pop Warner official in Los Angeles, Pop Warner is Little League football in much of the country. Right, right. Um, he says it's completely un-American to stop little kids from playing tackle football. Un-American. Well, and so this could just maybe put it on the ballot for a vote? Or is this actual legislation? It's it's a legislation. They, they All kinds of bills are proposed. They right. never go anywhere. They get stuck in committee or whatever. So they never actually move on to the point to actually become law. Right. But, you know, you start hearing about this and then people are motivated so that they'll their voice is heard and people don't want their little kids not playing tackle football, apparently. What about the obsessed parents that are ingraining in their kids' minds, you are going to play football professionally, you're going to start at age two? Yeah. They're, Maybe they need to ban them, too. So Boston, the uh, Democrats that announced this bill... Uh, they point to a Boston University study showing those who participate before age 12 are twice as likely to have problems with behavioral regulation, apathy, and executive functioning, and three times as likely to experience clinically elevated depression scores. Really? Football's causing it. You know, but bang, it, banging your head against stuff. How do you train a professional football player? I don't know. I didn't play till I was 14. Yeah, but you didn't go pro. <laughs> I didn't. And you know I would have. No. That's the thing though. Is... I always tell my mom, if I would have played at 8, I'd be a pro football player. Actually, I'd be a retired pro football player, but I'd have CTE and a lot of money. That's right. Mm. You'd be the richest person with CTE. That's the, the that's, that's so, the crazy uh, side. And by the way, soccer, you're just as likely also to get head injuries in soccer as well. Correct. So they'd have to ban soccer too. Yep. Is that just from the ball, like you headbutting the ball? And two people's heads yeah. going to headbutt the same ball. At, at, at young ages, people can't aim well with their head, so they miss and hit somebody else. Yeah. That's why – why can't we all just play soccer the way we used to, like where 50 little kids circle a ball and run around the field right. together and they all just that, try to – That one kid that doesn't understand picks the, the ball up and runs away. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second, you don't. But you sympathize with that kid, and you think, this is this kid has got the right idea. I wish I could do that. Yeah. Um, speaking of not having the right idea, hmm? Hmm. a woman climbs into an x-ray machine uh, in China. She's trying to board a plane, and the, she, she put her bag on the on – the, to go through the x-ray machine, and she climbed up onto the same conveyor belt, and then she went through the x-ray machine too because she didn't want to leave her bag. 
That was full of money. It was full of money. So uh, I won't even try to pronounce it. It was the, the, the Dong, Dongwan Railway Station in China's southern Guangdong province. Yeah. Everyone knows where that is. And everyone was going. She was going back for the Chinese New Year. She had a bag full of cash. Happy Year of the Dog, by She the way. didn't want to just leave it because somebody would steal her purse. So she decided to just go through security. And they have images. We'll put it up on our Twitter feed yep. where you can pretty much see every bone in her body. So she was worried from the time she put it on the conveyor belt to where she got through yeah. security that somebody would take no, it. No, but that's what they always tell you is watch your bags because then somebody on the other end will grab your bag and take your computer okay. or your laptop. So she's going to hang on to it. Have you ever seen somebody do that? No. Okay. That's just what – but I've also never seen somebody go through – that is machine. true. She, uh, by the way, she in heard, high heels. By the way, not only did she, she, but they didn't get in trouble. She didn't get in trouble no. really either. She just got off, and everyone was so mortified that she had just pretty much radiated her entire body <laughs> that they kind of just let her run to go catch her plane. Uh, by the way, one thing they are looking for her now because apparently she may have osteoporosis. <laughs> They can tell. They can tell Her now. bone density isn't quite right. Hey, we got to uh, do a quick update. What's coming up on the show with you, Jeffrey, on screen cleaning? Well, it's in a way, it's going to be have a Valentine theme to it Excellent. because Valentine's Day was on a Wednesday this year. You're going to be going out of town yeah. this weekend with your lovely wife. I'm going to be celebrating tonight with my wife. Getting a furnace. Um, so we want to give you some ideas – actually, not give you some ideas. We want to talk to a guest who's going to mention a class that she's teaching where couples are getting married as Ooh. a result of taking this class. Ooh. And she's going to stick around and play a little trivia game with us on romantic comedies. Excellent. Just some ideas for this weekend. And then, of course, the big uh, Marvel film Black Panther is coming out this week. I'm surprised we didn't mention it once on the program this morning. And, uh, yeah, so we'll be reviewing that with Rod Gustafson. It's all straight ahead on screen cleaning. And that's it for me. I will be back with you next week, folks. Until then, make it a great one, and let's look after each other. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is Jeff Simpson. I'm joined here by uh, Cole Wissinger. Hello, Cole. Hello, hello. We're here every Friday, uh, Mountain Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. to help bring you the best in the entertainment industry. Today, we're going to be talking about the biggest movie releases over the weekend. We've got Black Panther. We've got Early Man, which is the latest from Ardman Studios. Was there something other than Marvel this weekend? Early Man. Okay. Yeah. And yet it's going to get a fraction of what Black Panther gets, but that's okay. We're still going to mention it on this show. Uh, We're going to be talking about a college course that is screaming to be made into a romantic comedy. And then talk about romantic comedies. And then talk about romantic comedies. We're going to have a little trivia contest with our guest Tammy Hill, who's a professor here at BYU. We're going to give you some ideas for romantic comedies that you can watch over the weekend because I'm celebrating Valentine's Day this weekend because who celebrates it on a Wednesday, middle of the week? Um, Normal people. Normal people? People that can, you know, cut out the appropriate amount of time for their significant other. So the purists, those are the ones that— People that that actually love their significant other enough to, you know, 
make an important part of their week. You're not going to make me feel guilty because I try. created a scavenger hunt that was waiting for my family, even though I couldn't be there to see them participate in it. It was waiting for my family when they woke up on Valentine's Day. This year? Yes. Okay. So there was something, a little something for everybody on the actual day. So this weekend, we're going to go out to dinner and do the nice, expensive meal. Okay. Yeah. And we're also going to bring you the very best in the latest entertainment news, which we will do right now. And this is a great week for good news and entertainment uh, because I'm going to start out with the biggest one of all. Yeah. It's kind of the biggest, but it's really a non-announcement. It's really kind of non-news. And it's nothing. Go ahead. It's a nothing, which is interesting because it's coming from the man who had a show about, about nothing. nothing. Right? Mm. Jerry Seinfeld was being interviewed by Ellen on Ellen, and they were talking about all the different revivals of old favorite TV shows. Roseanne. Roseanne. The soonest one, I think, coming at us. Will and right. Grace, Will and Grace just came out. Yep. And Jerry Seinfeld said, I know where you're going with this. So Ellen asked him the question that was on everybody's mind. Would you consider doing a Jerry Seinfeld revival? Which is a question I'm sure he's been getting since the show ended 20 Years ago. Can you believe that? 20 years ago. Oh, I can because I'm 25, 26-ish. Were you and I five never, when that show ended? Because Holy I never watched it cow. and it wasn't that funny and I don't need a revival. And did, did you just say Seinfeld is not that funny? Very much so. But you can continue your news. It's funny because we have a segment on the show called The Movie Court. And I feel like every topic and movie on the show today, Cole and I would – Go and head now to television head too. in the movie court. I cannot believe you just said that. This is the greatest comedy ever. People do think that. And so people are kind of excited <laughs> that he said. Possibly. No, he said maybe it's possible. It's po- like. Yeah. But for him to say that is huge because for so many years he would say things like, why would I do that? I'm not going to do that. We went out on top. I want people to remember it. I want people to love it. Well, and he especially has said a lot of things about the state of comedy and the state of entertainment right now that he doesn't yeah. feel like he could be true to his brand of comedy in the entertainment world, right. that it's too restricted and that he wants to just say whatever he wants. And But, the, I mean, never say never with this guy because this is coming from the guy that said he would never do a movie – and since then, he's made a We've handful of B movies. Movie. He was in the B movie. He was in a Chris Rock movie. He did the documentary movie about comedians. Right. He's he's has several other shows since then. So never say never. And I guarantee you, the other stars of Seinfeld, with maybe the exception of Julia Louis Dreyfus, would she's, sign she's up. She's had in a heartbeat. something else going on for a while. Yeah, but, that but and some personal issues yeah, as well. With all the with all the other platforms that he has and options, I'm sure that he could find a home somewhere if he uh, felt. Yeah passionate about it he could start a bidding war yeah among all the networks or streaming services so that's the best revival news and the best trailer news and i'm surprised cole was this the first time you'd watched the trailer during the break five minutes ago yeah what <laughs> how did you not I was instantly watch the trailer for the incredibles part two when you saw it online because i'm generally not a trailer guy anymore okay. after suicide Suicide Squad officially ruined trailers for me because the trailer was oh. so good and the movie was so bad that I tried to avoid that. So they pulled a fast one on you. Now. 
So, but I have I trust that Incredibles two will be good enough that I could watch the trailer and not be disappointed. because you've got Brad Bird, the My creator man. of the first Incredibles, at the wheel. Mm-hmm. We can trust him. He was involved in The Simpsons. He did one of the best Mission Impossible movies. Um, I was a little Iron disapp- Giant, which Iron is my Giant. one of my favorite movies of all time. I was a little disappointed with Tomorrowland. Actually, I was a lot disappointed with Tomorrowland, but we don't have but to talk about that. But that's just one thing. Yeah. He's, he's, got, he's a got a great a track. track record. So that's coming out. Super excited about that. In the best reboot news, this speaking of a guy that has a great track record, if you haven't heard of the name Paul King, it's probably because he's only done about two or three movies. And they're all Paddington movies. But there's something about those movies that's just so delightful and whimsical, very colorful, lighthearted, and that just make you feel like a million bucks and like you need to go out and be the best version of you that you can be. And nothing screams whimsy and everything that you just said like a good Roald Dahl book. Yes. So. That's super dark, actually. <laughs> but uh, when you think about it, which is why I guess Tim uh, – I almost said Tim Allen – Tim Burton was such a great fit for the reboot, which I kind of have mixed feelings about. As do a lot of people. Yeah. But um, this Willy guy, Wonka. This guy's got a great track record. The two Paddington, Paddington movies that he did, the first one had a 98% Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes. The second one has 100%. So I trust this guy to do this book justice and to create a great version of Willy Wonka. And I think it's just called Willy Wonka. And from what I've read so far, I believe it's supposed to be about – Pre Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, so we might get to see him Oompa finding Land, the Oompa Loompas, something which, like that. which the Tim Burton version did a little bit of. The mention, and there are some things in the Tim Burton version that I really did like. But for me, I it I love the original with Gene Wilder, even though Roald Dahl himself hated it. I love it. It's. It's a tradition in my. It was a tradition growing up that whenever I got sick and had to stay home from school. That is the movie I would watch. Don't ask me why, but that's just the way it was. I mean, I did the same thing with the Star Wars movies. Everyone oh, really? has like those yeah. kind of things. That was yeah. my sick movie. That's fair. Even though I was terrified, terrified of the Oompa Loompas. I would, when I was really young, I would run out of the room every time they would come on screen. And my family would torment me and they would say, okay, you can come back in. They're, they're not on the screen anymore. And they but were. They were. Ah! Oh, parents. Ugh. No, it was my it was my siblings. My parents wouldn't do that to me. Oh, okay. And then finally, before we head to the break here, in the best Marvel news, you may have heard about a movie that's coming out this weekend called Black Panther. Yeah. Heard something about Vaguely. it? Okay. It's going to break all sorts of box office records. Uh, For February. I love that the big news yeah. about it is that it's going to break February box Some office records. Some more non-news, right? <laughs> yeah. But – the the good news about this is, so far, it currently has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, which would make it, if it stayed there, would make it the highest rated Marvel movie ever. I th- think that we need to take that with a grain of salt, because as of more of these come out, we're now 10 years into the Marvel land, and... Ten years ago, reviewers definitely looked down on this genre, as they do on a lot of genre-specific kind of things. Um now they're starting to accept these movies for just the movies that they are, so they're getting a little higher rated, even I could if argue they're maybe not that. as good. I could argue against that, though, because with more of these, more and more of these coming out, I would say the expectations continue to elevate. Eh. 
I think that Iron Man is still would, one of their best ones. And... I would agree with you, though. I, I don't go to these movies for anything other than to be entertained. And to eat popcorn. Exactly. Anyway, speaking of Black Panther and early man, we're going to be speaking with our good friend Rod Gustafson when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. He's going to give us a review of those two picks. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We've got one of our great friends on the line right now, Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. He's here to give us a taste of what's coming out this weekend, two films that Cole and I have not seen. Rod, I was really hoping that at least Cole would have seen Black Panther because I just know he would have hated it. And I would have I would have used this as an opportunity for you and Cole to go head to head in what we call our movie court. But it, it, we won't have that opportunity because he didn't see it. But you did, and we are curious to know what you thought of Black Panther. Well, I I am assuming that the lineups last night to go see this film were probably fairly fairly significant. So Cole, yeah. I don't blame you for. Yeah, I I don't blame you for not wanting to go out there and fight off the crowds. Um, if Black Panther is. Now, when I say this, this is from a person, this is not a genre that I really, really appreciate and would not be out, probably not even standing in line two weeks later to see. But this is definitely one of the best Marvel movies, one of the best comic genre films that I have seen. And uh, and part of that is because, first of all, I like the origin stories because I'm really not into the whole canon of these things I always find the origin stories are the most interesting and the most accessible. And so that's part of what really worked for me. Okay, so one of the best Marvel movies, that's that's huge news because what are there, 17 or 18 of these movies out now? Yeah, I, you know what? I haven't kept track. <laughs> they just all, they start blending together after a while. And I guess that's part of one of the things that I have a, a difficult time. I mean, it's 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 any genre, you know, you kind of get that where there are archetypes and, and, and formulas that seem to just get reworked and they just get populated with different people. But in this case, this one is populated with very different people. Obviously, there's the there's the ethnic issue because we have pretty much an all black cast with a couple of exceptions. But it's more than just that. It's it's it really is looking this is a, in my opinion, a movie that uh, and you wonder if we're trying if we're just finding these correlations because of the times that we're in. But this really is a timely movie that speaks about a lot of issues and a lot of things that are happening in our society right now. You know, I'm really curious to see if I like it because the the films that have stood out to me in this whole Marvel universe and the ones that have been my favorites are the ones that basically could stand on their own outside of a Marvel universe that don't need that connection. So I'm talking about Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy and mm-hmm. the first Iron Man, all movies that that stand on their own and i'm i'm hoping that this is one of those in fact i read a review of this movie that mentioned that when they had to do the obligatory uh cameos by different uh marvel characters that they almost seemed out of place 
Yeah, that's a very good point. They they almost do. They really do. And, you know, when you listen to the list of movies that you listed off there, Jeff, again, per, they're pretty much all the origin stories. And the origin stories do tend to stand alone better than as we get into episode two, three, four, and onward from there, because they, they become more interlinked with um, a lot of the backstories of Marvel, which um, I'm really not familiar with, admittedly. Um, it, but the origin origin stories really do stand more on their own. So this really is a film that, you know, if you're thinking, well, gee, I don't really like comic book movies. This film stands above the rest of the genre and in some ways um, doesn't really feel like the typical comic book movie. It really doesn't. It, it, it could if this was unrelated to the Marvel Universe, this could be a film that I think a lot of people would be looking at in a very different way. Well, I think Marvel is making some fantastic choices in their directors. With this film, you've got a guy named Ryan Coogler who very successfully rebooted a kind of a dying franchise with the with Rocky. He made yes. the latest Rocky movie. It was Creed. And boy, was that a fantastic movie that almost got Sylvester Stallone that Oscar. So maybe there's something about turning to the right directors to really help. the. Not that this franchise is dying. The opposite of that is true. But I think they're doing a great job finding directors that can make this more than just a subpar a superhero movie. And he also directed a, a film that was out a few years ago, a little independent film, Fruitvale Station. Now, that's an R-rated movie, but it was a ser very serious movie looking at an incident that reflects upon the black experience in urban America. And and yes, that is coming through in this film as well. So, yes, this is not a popcorn filmmaker. This is a this is a filmmaker who has gunned for awards in the past and who takes who takes what he does very seriously. Well, it worked so well for Christopher Nolan when they took that dying franchise of Batman and they handed it over to somebody that uh, is a fantastic storyteller. So it sounds like he's just a great storyteller. He really is. And and I think that really is the point about this film. Um, I know a few people, some friends of mine who are big Marvel fans, they were a little lukewarm to it because it doesn't. I mean, there there isn't a, a city that's totally blown up and destroyed in the final act, for example. Which, which is, is a bit fine. Of a, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's why I liked it so much. So, you know, now I should mention, just giving parents a heads up on this, there's a fair amount of violence in this movie. We see shootings on screen with some blood effects as well. And uh, so heed the PG-13 on this. The good news is there's really no sexual content. And profanity, not too bad. We have what we call a crude finger gesture. But otherwise, you know, the profanity, there is some there. But we've seen many PG-13 movies that are a whole lot worse. So, Rod, I'm definitely not taking my young children to Black Panther this week. And that's not to say that I won't go see it. But uh, I do plan on taking them to see the other film we're going to be talking about, which is Early Man from Ardman Studios. And I'm, I'm dying to know what you thought of that. Well, I think my wife put it best. 
if you call that game that you play with that black and white kind of checkered ball, if you call it soccer and not football, well, then early man, you may not get about 80% of the jokes in this movie. <laughs> and and I think I fell into that category. This movie is from Ardman Animation, which is a wonderful little animation company in, in Great Britain and in the UK. Uh, and they turn out a movie about, well, I don't know, every couple of three years. They are slow movers because they still do handmade stop motion animation using plasticine or clay. I don't know what material they use, but this movie's really cool to watch because when you look at it on the big screen, you're going to see lots of fingerprints because you actually see the handwork that is in the animation on these on these characters that they're filming. And what the story is about is it's about football. And when I say football, I'm not talking pointy shaped football, but round football. And it, and it's poking fun at the UK's love of football to the point where it's almost a religion. And what this movie proposes is that football started way, way back in the earliest days of man being on the, on the island of England or of the UK, whatever term you want to call it, and how it goes back that far and has always been an important part of their culture. So I think the Brits are absolutely going to love this movie. I have <laughs> many British friends here in Canada that have already gone to see it, and they think it's great. I suspect that for a few of us over here in North America, we may miss a lot of the jokes, but it's still a very fun family movie. Is there enough in there that's for the kids, that the kids will get, or that they'll at least laugh at or appreciate? I think so. Um, it again, I think the kids will enjoy some of the slapstick humor and that type of thing. Uh, and I think if you are into football, soccer, those types of things, I think that adults will find it fun as well. But certainly, I must admit, the kids in my audience were not as engaged into this as they were, for instance, Peter Rabbit last week, which had them going the entire time. Uh, so this one, a little bit of a quieter crowd. I'd love, I wish I could afford the flight over to London so I could sit in the theater over there. I think you get a very different reaction. <laughs> well, Rod Gustafson, we really appreciate your time here with us on Screen Cleaning, and we always love your insight and also your ability to help us know and find out what's in these movies that maybe we should be a little concerned about. And it sounds like maybe with Black Panther, there's a little bit to be concerned about this weekend if you're taking younger children. But uh, if you want your Younger kids to laugh, but maybe not get all of the jokes, you can take them to early man. <laughs> well, and at the very least, they may want to go outside and play some football, which wouldn't be a bad thing. There we go. And thank you for the reminder that we're the only country that calls it uh, soccer instead of football. Us here too in Canada, <laughs> oh, very really? much. If you say if you say football in Canada, the, we have we have Canadian football up here, which is still the pointy shaped ball, very similar to your football, uh, except we only get three downs up here. You don't get as many chances, but uh, it, so that's the or no. You guys get three. Do we get four? Goes to show you how much I know about it. But yeah. we say soccer, <laughs> and soccer is the round ball. Well, Rod, uh, again, we really appreciate you. Have a great weekend. And when we return, speaking of weekend, you know, I, I mentioned that I'm going to be celebrating Valentine's Day this weekend with my wife. And what better way to do that than, than to enjoy a good old-fashioned romantic comedy? 
Our next guest is is uh, going to be playing a little date movie trivia game with us, as well as tell us about a college course she's teaching that's resulting in multiple marriages. Hmm, has that piqued your interest? When we return, this is Screen Cleaning. We're speaking here with Tammy Hill, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a professor at BYU. And every semester, she asks her students to participate in a project that sounds more like a romantic comedy than a school assignment. She asks them to participate in a 14-day fake relationship. Now, is this just a disaster waiting to happen, or is it an opportunity to learn and grow? Here to speak with us is Tammy Hill herself. Welcome to the uh, welcome to Screen Cleaning, Tammy. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you for being here. So, I am I am so curious about this. I I, I told you during the break that when I heard about this, I it just screamed romantic comedy because there are so many fake relationships in romantic comedies. In fact, we'll talk about that during our next segment a little more. But why don't you start out by just telling us about your 14-day challenge? All right. Um, and how it all came to be. Okay. So I've taught marriage prep here for the last three years. And um, a lot of students get a lot of knowledge from the class that they don't apply. And so this assignment is an optional assignment. It's along with many other experiential assignments that they can choose from. Um, This is one where they can choose, if they want to, to ask a good friend if they'd like to be in an exclusive relationship for 14 days um, where they're not you know, dating other people. Also, I really encourage them not to get physically involved with each other, but to make it more just a good, good dating friendship. Yeah. And to see how it goes. And uh, started this last fall. So it's been two semesters that they've had the opportunity. Most of the students don't choose this assignment. (laughs) But those who have, I've had four weddings that have come from this assignment that I'm aware of. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So... You're a little matchmaker there. <laughs> no, they're choosing it all. I'm just giving wow. them a little um, nudge, incentive okay. to move in that direction. So what when you started out doing this, what was kind of the purpose of this assignment? To apply, apply what we learn. Um, we talk about a lot of things in marriage preparation, a lot of self-awareness type of things. Um, the idea and the principles of marriage and how God has ordained marriage for his children and then um, taking the things that we learn and applying them, like I was saying. I think we have a lot of uh, knowledge, but we don't have a lot of wisdom. And I think taking knowledge to the next step where we're actually living what we know, this is one way that they can do that and become more wise for it. This is so interesting. So... What obviously this might come as a shock to some students. Mm-hmm. What kind of reactions do they have when you present this to them? Oh, big reactions! They look horrified, and then some look really excited. And so, um, th- but again, it's totally their choice if they want to do this to earn the points for the experiential activities. Oh my goodness! I don't. There was nothing like this when I was taking a marriage preparation class. I wonder if I would. I maybe I would have ended up marrying somebody else. I don't know. So <laughs> in a way, I'm grateful that I wasn't a part of your class because I I love my wife. So um, 
are the students allowed to let other people in on the joke, so to speak, or do they do they have to lead others to believe that that's that it's a real relationship? You mean outside of the, yeah. the two people in the relationship? Yeah. You know, I don't really say it one way or the other. I Interesting. guess it's up to them to decide what they want to do. And I don't, you know, I, I it can be looked at as a romantic comedy or as a joke. Um, I think when you're really great friends with someone and you have a wonderful relationship and you've been friends for a while and there's not other outside interests going on, why not explore it and see if there might be something more there? You mentioned, Tammy, that you've heard of at least four uh, situations where the the couples that have ex- done this experiment have gotten married, right? Right. So did that surprise you? Have you been surprised by the results that you've seen? I, hmm, I don't know, surprised. I think it, what's surprising to me is um, the number of students who are afraid to do anything about a relationship that has promise. Yeah. And um, so I think this little nudge in this direction to kind of start living and and choosing to do something about something rather than be afraid all the time is what I've been most surprised at in the past. It's fun to see them actually start to to have some confidence and to try new things. And if they have to earn credit to get a good grade, maybe it's one way to help them do it. Yeah. So you've seen some of the success stories. Have you seen have you seen the fruits of a relationship that didn't go as well where they they broke up or you know maybe the guy liked the girl but the girl didn't sure. like the guy. What kind of feedback have you gotten from those relationships? That it was a good experiment generally. That yeah. they learned a lot and um were grateful for the opportunity to to learn from it. But generally, it's been very well received. Well, that's good. So even in the in the situations where they didn't get married, which is most of the time, it's it's still been a positive experience, right? Right. right. And I think we learn a lot from people we're with. I mean, you look at La La Land. That uh, oh yeah. And the breakup. My kids were so upset about that whole movie, <laughs> and yet you sit and think of the number of people you broke up with, or that I broke up with, and they weren't a waste. We learned all along the way and prepared ourselves further for the next relationship. I loved the ending to that. Spoiler alert, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't. I think had it ended the way that your kids were hoping it mm-hmm. would end, I wouldn't be thinking about it days after I saw right. it. You know, right. so much more true to life, just like you said. Yeah. So, um, what kind of advice or words of warning would you give to people that are thinking about? Or what do you what do you tell your students when they are thinking about entering into a fake relationship? Hmm. Well, mostly just to not do it unless you're good friends with someone. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, people who tend to be more introverted will choose totally different um, assignments to get credit for. Those that are more extroverted tend to be those that will jump in and try new things like this. Um, I caution them about the physical aspect, like I said. When we get involved with someone, touching, kissing, hugging, snuggling, all those types of things, we get emotional. There's a lot of feelings that can be uh, come, and you start confusing those feelings for real love. Is this really love, or is this just what I'm feeling right now? And so I encourage them not to have a physical aspect in the relationship yeah, um, at all so that it won't uh, cause more of that type of confusion. That's good because there there is some danger in that. In fact, there's even a, a term used here on campus and probably elsewhere too, the NICMO, the right. non-committal make-out session, mm-hmm. you know, 
where where you probably end up where either the guy or the girl thinks reads into it too much where the other person is just looking for a, a quote good un, or right. good time you right. know and we talk about that in class a lot yeah. we talk about kissing what does kissing mean when you kiss someone it should have some meaning mm-hmm. um all the types of things of physicality involved with dating again we're speaking with Tammy Hill who is a professor at, at BYU uh, of a marriage preparation uh, professor. And we want to continue this theme of fake relationships. We're going to carry it over into movies, however, because I was thinking about romantic comedies, and so many of these romantic comedies involve fake relationships for various reasons. There's always some kind of a scheme at play here. So, Tammy and Alex, you can play too. I'm just going to share the premise of some of these movies, and you tell me if... I want you to try to guess what the film is. And if we have time, I'll, I'll share an interesting fact that you may not have known about these movies. So the first one, really easy. Uh, well, I don't want to say that in case you get it wrong, but a player bets his co-workers he can make a woman fall in love with him in just 10 days. Mm. But he bets on the wrong girl, a writer with her own agenda. I'm How to it. lose a guy in 10 days. All right. She got it. Very good. I knew, I knew How to lose a guy in 10 days. I'll let her answer the first one. <laughs> so Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson. Interesting mm-hmm. fact. Gwyneth. Gwyneth Paltrow was originally going to star in this movie. So I'm going to share a few more movies where they changed the casting. Um, so it wasn't supposed to be who ultimately was in the movie. Here's another interesting one. Uh, a pushy boss forces her young assistant to marry her in order to keep her visa status in the United States and avoid deportation oh, to Canada. Oh, it has Bullock. Tan- Tammy knows it. <laughs> the proposal. Ding, 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 I didn't ding. Know the name of it. That's <laughs> I right. It is Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, interesting about this movie this was the second movie in the same year in which Julia Roberts was offered a leading wow. role and turned it down. And the role ended up going to Sandra Bullock in both movies, this one and. The Blind Side. Huh. Oh, she did so great. In Which that. is too bad because uh, Sandra Bullock won an Oscar for yes, The Blind Side. Okay. Here, oh, I don't want to give you. I don't want to give you too much of a clue here. A hopeless romantic Chicago Transit Authority token collector. Wow, is mistaken <laughs> while you were sleeping. Yes, I didn't even have to finish. See, okay. you're doing great. <laughs> That's my favorite Tammy show. Is yeah. destroying me here. That yeah. is one of my wife's favorite shows too. I love that. So, again. Julia Roberts turned down kidding? this role. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. You can't win them all. I mean, she has other great movies. So. Well, I think it, it's it's a question of money. She didn't like the. She wasn't getting paid enough to do these movies, so she turned them down. And apparently, that means Sandra Bullock is willing to work for less money. I guess we learned. <laughs> okay, this one's a little more difficult. Okay. Con artist Gwen moves into Newton's empty house without his knowledge and begins setting up house, posing as his new wife. I know. Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn, right? Yeah. Do you know what it is, Alex? I have no idea. What's the name? I don't remember the name Steve Martin. Um, It has house in the title. Big Mama's House. house. I don't know. (laughs) Big Mama's House. House Guest is another movie with Sinbad and uh, Phil Hartman. This is actually House Sitter. Sitter. That's right. Yeah. And another movie that wasn't originally going to go to um, Goldie Hawn, it was going to be played by Meg Ryan. Hmm. She turned it down. Then they were going to offer it to Kim Basinger. 
So she turned it down. So it went to Goldie Hawn. And I see Goldie Hawn and Steve Martin together. That's a much better match mm-hmm. in my opinion. Okay. Uh, here's another one. A cruel and beautiful heiress mocks and cheats over a hired carpenter. When she gets amnesia, he decides to introduce her to working class life by convincing her their husband and wife. Is it overboard? That is correct. Yeah, wow. I got it. This, is, this is one of those great yeah. high concept movies with two of the most likable people in the movies, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, okay. who have been partner. They've never married, but they've oh, been partners since the 80s. I thought they married. Yeah, they've, they've, they've never done it. They've never tied the knot. Uh, interesting fact about this. Anna Ferris is going to be starring in a remake of this hmm. film next year. Hmm. Okay. Uh, here is another one that's kind of an adaptation. A high school jock makes a bet that he can turn an unattractive girl into the school's prom queen. This one's a little more oh, modern. Man, I need, I need this another is, hint because it's, ring, it's ringing a bell. This is when I was in high school. It stars Freddie Prinze Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook. I'm too old for yeah, that. Yeah, he lost me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, a, it's a modern adaptation of My Fair Lady, and it's called She's All That. Hmm. Okay. Uh, now, the major flaw in this movie, in the description, it says he's trying to turn an unattractive girl into the school's prom queen. It's one of those movies where she wears glasses, and then when he takes off the glasses, she transforms into this beautiful girl when she was really beautiful the whole time. <laughs> Real princess diary going yeah. on there. So it kind of implies that if you wear glasses, you're not beautiful. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, kind of a, a flawed uh, plot there or storyline there. Uh, let's see here. Let me see. This one's a little more recent, too. I didn't see it. On a weekend trip to Hawaii, a plastic surgeon convinces his loyal assistant to pose as his soon-to-be-divorced wife in order to cover up a careless lie he told to his much younger girlfriend. It's an Adam Sandler movie. Yes. I forgot the title, though, because it's an Adam Sandler movie. It's called know. Just Go With It. Just Go With It. So he wears a wedding ring uh, and tells – I think he tells people that oh. – his wife died or he's getting a divorce or something so that he can – I don't know. He he pretends to be married and so he has to actually be married, pretend to be married when this girl finds out. Hijinks ensue. That's pretty much all you need to know. Yeah. He takes off the ring because he actually likes this girl. I don't know. It's I never saw it. An interesting fact, it's an award-winning film. Wow. Adam Sandler won the Razzie Award for Worst Actor. The Razzies oh, are kind of the <laughs> the opposite of the Oscars. So <laughs> let's see here. We're kind of running out of time here. So let me come up. Ooh, this is a good one from the 80s. A nerdy outcast secretly pays the most popular girl in school $1,000 to pretend to be his girlfriend. The I name of the film – I started thinking of Lucas for some reason, but that's not a romantic comedy. That's a good comedy. one too. The name of the film actually comes from a Beatles song. Hey Jude. I, I can't buy too much for money or money something like – Money can't buy me love? Can't buy me love. Can't buy me love. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting one because uh, 
you know, it's the typical 80s movie, but there's a scene, and this guy's a total nerd. He watches something called the African Anteater Ritual Dancing Program or whatever. <laughs> so there's a scene in the movie where he goes to a dance, and he's starting to be, you know, uh, seen as cool and hip. So everybody's kind of copying what he does. And he starts doing this really bizarre dance that he saw on this program. And so everybody starts copying him, thinking that he's cool and it's the new cool thing. Mm. And Paula Abdul actually came in to choreograph this dance and made a cameo in the film. So uh, just in closing here, let's I'm going to give you two. These ones are a little older. And the the unique thing about these is the director of these two films was nominated for an Academy Award for each of these. So uh, this one's not a romantic comedy. Kind of is in a way, I guess. An insurance salesman discovers his entire life is actually a television show. The Truman the Show. Truman. Yes. Yeah. So that was directed by Peter Weir. Uh, and this this next one was also directed by Peter Weir. And we'll end with this one. An American woman enters into a marriage of convenience with a Frenchman so he can obtain a green card and remain in the United States. Sounds way too much like that Sandra Bullock is it one. Green card? It is green card okay. oh, with wow. uh, with uh, Andy McDowell and Gerard Depardieu. Should have known it. So again, man, you did really well, Tammy. Well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> and Alex, <laughs> you were ones. you weren't far behind, Alex. I got we, one of them. We can tease him a little bit. <laughs> uh, Tammy, I want to thank you again for for coming onto the show. We had a great time with you here on screen cleaning. Thank you. Keep up the great work and keep uh, getting people married. It sounds like you're doing a great job of that. <laughs> yeah, and thanks again for the advice for for people who are. You know, maybe don't want to commit to a full relationship or who are thinking of entering into a fake relationship even to just to, you know, not be physical unless there's something, you know, some actual real feelings involved there. Very good words of caution. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation here on Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome to a 90-second movie review for the film Peter Rabbit on BYU Radio. The tale of Peter Rabbit, as written by Beatrix Potter, is well-known and has become a classic. So it's not without merit that a film would be based upon it. Although this film is not that actual story. The characters and themes of the book are in this film, but the story itself is much more modern. Peter Rabbit, played by James Corden, is fighting with Old Man McGregor, played by Sam Neill, although you can't really tell, until the old man dies. Peter thinks the animals now own the garden and the house, until McGregor's grandnephew, Thomas, played by Donald Gleason, shows up so he can sell the house. Well, that's when the fireworks begin, and sometimes literally. The filmmakers have taken liberties to make their own story with these characters, but at least they made it a good story. The live action and animation look great together on the screen, and the story was enjoyable for adults and kids. The PG rating of this film comes from the violence that is sometimes played for comic effect, such as people being shocked by electricity and flying many feet through the air. Other times, the characters are just physically fighting with each other. Plus, the attempts to capture the animals in the garden use traps and explosives and can be a little intense. Thematic elements in the film include death and family, plus the script includes a few lines of crude humor. While I expected this film to be boring, I actually found it interesting and a little entertaining. I'm giving Peter Rabbit a B grade. I'm Sean O'Neill. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
Discover the best in international, national, and local artists on Highway 89, weeknights at 10 Eastern on BYU Radio. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We're heading over to BYU Sports Nation, and today we've got Jerem and Jason. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. good. How are you? Fantastic. Now, right out of the gate. What? Right out of the gate. I need to ask you guys, did you celebrate Valentine's on Wednesday? Are you doing something for your spouses this weekend? Every day is Valentine's Day. Yeah, I I, I single out a day to love my wife. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's not listening, you know. You can tell me what you would really want to say. Okay, yeah, we did something. (laughs) Yeah, Wednesday. Okay. Yeah, it's the day. Really? Like now, you don't celebrate Christmas on you know, I love like my December twenty eighth more on one day. See now you you guys and Cole are making me feel like a complete jerk. I mean oh. I will say I okay, did. So what did Cole? What did Cole do? So uh, Cole, I just agree with you guys. I think that the day is an important thing. You can't just put it off to the weekend when it's convenient yeah. for you. Okay, well, but well, if there's an agreement and an understanding, it's different. which there like, was work schedules and. Restaurants are filled up, and you, you know you can you can. Uh, it, it's the toughest night of the year to go out to eat because everyone else is going out to eat. See, but I have a thing. It's mostly like when it comes to like birthdays. You have lots of things. I have lots of things. Yes, but I am one of those guys that like if it's my birthday, I want to celebrate my birthday on my birthday. I don't yeah. want to celebrate my birthday on a different day. Yeah. What if it's like, Super it's Bowl kids, Sunday? When our well, then it would celebrate it on Sunday. <laughs> like that's the day. That's the day I was born. Unless there's the CES fireside at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, we... You, where's your loyalty? Our kids, like, if they're, it's their birthday, but let's have the party. No, 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 no. That's not their birthday. That's true. Like, that's a thing with me. That is okay. a thing with me. But now, this begs the question, what would you do if you were born on February 29th? That is a fantastic question. <laughs> One that I don't have an answer to. That would be... I would just not be born on the 29th. Eight years old. Okay. I would just choose not to be born on the 29th of February. Thank you for doing the math for us on that one, Jerem. Um, So we also – we just got finished talking about romantic comedies. We had a romantic comedy trivia contest, and I'm curious to know what are some romantic comedies that you guys like? It could be a guilty pleasure or maybe one that you genuinely like. Sleepless in Seattle. Love it. Sleepless in Seattle. Wow. No hesitation. Hitch is good. Hitch. Okay. You know, I would I would probably be inclined to choose You've Got Mail over Sleepless in Seattle. It's got the same cast, but I think the reason being is the last time I watched Sleepless in Seattle, I was a little creeped out at Meg Ryan's behavior in the film. She's basically stalking. It should be stalking in Seattle. Yeah, but it was the 90s. So it was, it was more acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't understood. Yeah. Yeah. No. Same actually, way. it's funny. I had not seen uh, "You've Got Mail" for a really long time, and I'm flipping through the channels the other day and caught the very tail end of it. And I had the exact opposite. I'm like, "Yeah, this just reaffirms that this was not as good as Sleepless in Seattle." Hmm. Well, of course, you didn't have you know some of the same witty banter that you have in Sleepless in Seattle. But, but and, and no, and Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, she's not in it. That's. True. Um, Bill Pullman, so, he's not in it. That is also true. I would also say that um, I don't know that a lot of guys would complain if Meg Ryan was stalking them. Is Meg Ryan like like you talk about like uh, like the the girl next door is like Meg Ryan, Sandra Bullock. 
those they they kind of got typecast with that type of role, didn't they? Oh, speaking of Sandra Bullock, mm-hmm. while you were sleeping, love it, mm. love it. Oh Princess yeah, Bride is on IMDb's top fifty list for rom com. I I do not think of Princess Bride as a rom com. No, I think it's oh, certainly no. a romantic. I yeah. I think well, of it's it not as... as romantic as it is a comedy. Yeah, I think of it as one of the greatest films ever made. But yes. um, interesting fact about Sandra Bullock: we talked about this uh, when we were having this trivia contest. Sandra Bullock picks up all the roles that Julia Roberts turns down. <laughs> it's it's a thing. It's happened for like three different films. That's funny. Yeah. Um, Groundhog Day is on this list. It's oh a yeah, cop? yeah. That... <sighs> but that's just a, that's just a straight comedy too. That's just straight comedy. Yeah. yeah. So you're probably not talking about romantic comedies on Sports Nation here well, in about we may six now and a half because it's piqued my interest. Yeah, so what are you talking about? We're talking about BYU snapping a four-game losing streak in Malibu. Booyah! That is a good thing. BYU wins in overtime last night against a four-win team. <laughs> so are you excited or concerned about the fact that BYU has gone to OT and won the last two games? Uh, it, it just You just say overtime and you've got my interest. So that's overtime. a good thing. Yeah, two OT games in a row. We'll uh, ask that question to uh, former BYU coach Steve Cleveland. He's going to join us on the show. Uh, Spencer Linton is going to join us from somewhere in Southern California. He's Hmm. probably, you know, running on the beach. He he may have woken up on a beach. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't put it past him. Like he's muscle, like, like he's muscle like, beach. He's like, where am I? Now I, mean, I can't just, get a workout on the, in a muscle on the coast. beach. Now I can't stop thinking about that running on the beach training scene from Rocky Three yeah. with Carl Weathers and Blaine and yeah. Spencer embrace shirtless <laughs> in slow motion. They were wearing tank tops, okay. And then Paul <laughs> had a red one. Rocky had a yellow one. And Athlon <laughs> Sports put out its top one thirty college football teams. Where did BYU land? Ooh, now that is a it team. was low, but how low? And, Jeff, I want to ask you something. Yes. Uh, yes. I noticed – now, see, today is the first game for BYU baseball. I am wearing a Cougar jersey to, uh, you know, kind of enjoy the day, celebrate. Yes. I noticed you are, too, wearing a baseball jersey. Is it because of that or did it just happen to be coincidence? Uh, well, your eyes deceived you a little bit. It's actually the BYU broadcasting jersey. Well, I know that's what I mean. Oh, okay. But, but it's, it's okay. a baseball jersey. That's uh, Yeah, that's true. I, I think it's mostly because it's Friday. Okay. <laughs> but I do love your enthusiasm for baseball. The baseball. <laughs> Yeah, season opener at uh, Cal State Northridge. Oh, CSUN. And and my eyes almost deceived me. I had to do a double take when you walked by because I thought, oh, is he wearing a Dodgers jersey? But uh, it was too good to be true. It was not. It would not be a Dodgers jersey. Jason is a big St. Louis car. I know, I know. Biggest one I know. Oh, goodness. Well, that sounds like a great show. Knock them dead and go out and don't do something special for your spouses this weekend, I guess. Go watch a rom-com. Okay. Did it Wednesday. All right, I'll go and feel bad about myself. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you guys later. See you, Hef. So speaking of feeling bad about myself, Cole, I have a little bit of a confession to make. But uh, first, why don't we go ahead and hit that stinger for our panning for good segment. There's good in them dire hills. The other night, I was feeling bad about myself because I watched a movie that I probably shouldn't have watched. And I'm not going to name what the movie is, although I told you what it was during the break. And afterwards, I just felt rotten. And 
But luckily, I went to a show the following evening with my six-year-old daughter as part of her birthday present. And that you、uh, did on her birthday, right? Um, no. <laughs> But that's just because this play wasn't going, wasn't、uh-huh, running、sure. during her birthday. So we went and we saw at the Hale Center Theater, which is a local theater here in Utah, and we saw The Little Mermaid. Aww. And in fact, the whole time through the production, I was I had this big smile on my face, and it really reminded me not only of one of the best Disney movies ever made, but it made me feel good—a feeling that I did not have the night previous when I was watching this movie that I shouldn't have watched. And this is a, a plug for The Little Mermaid and Disney in general, but it's also a plug for just watching films, TV shows, plays. Reading books that uplift and make you feel good about yourself and make you want to go out and sing. Cole, do you ever feel like you want to go out singing?、Uh, not on the radio, but under the in sea. My car. When you're under the sea, you want to go out singing. Anyway, just go look for opportunities this weekend to be uplifted and to feel good. It feels so much better to feel good than it does to feel bad. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Until next week, we will return. Go out and see Black Panther or Early Man. Talk to you then. <laughs>